0: This episode of Tales from the Backlog, as always, is brought to you by the wonderful patrons over at slash real Dave Jackson. Some personal heroes of mine, like Chris Nelson, the Top 3 Podcast Crew, Zulgeek, Chris Copleen, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Nick Fakori, Jill, Kieran, Soccer, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, AKA Stormageddon, JD, Doug Leaf, Jason Emery, Rob Shack, Brian Skersha, Randall, Jake Martin, Jenny E., and many more have all chosen to support the show by going to patreon.com slash realdavejackson and kicking a few bucks a month my way. And in return, they're getting some cool treats like they can vote in what games I do on the show. They get bonus episodes and much more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Jackson. Any and all support is always appreciated. And with that being said, on to the show. Hello, everybody. My name is the David of Dojima, Dave Jackson patriarch of Tales from the Backlog clan which is a tube podcast network subsidiary where each week I am joined by a guest to bring a game out of the backlog play it and discuss my guests today are friends of the show first of all we have the co-chief of the fun and games reignite and screen snark clans subsidiaries of the CPOV family the mad dog Matt aka Stormageddon Matt welcome back glad to be back happy to be here Of course, and we're also joined today by the matriarch of Epilogue Gaming Clan and co-chief of the Left Behind Game Club podcast family, Ms. Shakedown Flora Marigold. Flora, welcome back.
1: Joy, you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, uh, happy to have you both here. Longtime listeners of the show will recognize both uh, of the wonderful guests today. Matt's been a guest on several episodes in the past, including one that we did that was just all about why... The Yakuza series is fucking awesome, uh, which is good, because today we're talking about another one of those, and uh, Flora was previously on the show when we talked about The Last of Us Part 2, which is an episode that I thought went really, really well. So, uh, let's see, Matt was also here for uh, Bayonetta 3, and there was another one, right?
2: Yes, Metroid 2, the many versions of Metroid 2. Right,
0: the Metroid 2 remake episode, Yes. yes. Okay, cool.
2: I'm happy to be back for a new game that hopefully we like a lot better than the last one.
0: That's right, yeah. Today we're gonna to talk about Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, which is developed by Ryuga Kotoku Studios and published by Sega for contemporary consoles, minus the Switch, of course, and PC in 2023. And uh I deciding right now at the top of the show, do I wanna to commit to the Tim Rogers bit of saying the full title every single time I, I mention the uh the game we're talking about today?
2: i mean i feel like you have to now yeah now
1: that you brought it up and raised the stakes i think it's necessary
0: i think so yeah so uh if you have not played like a dragon gaiden the man who erased his name we are not going to spoil the story for you in the non-spoiler section of the show as always you can check down in the show notes for when spoilers begin We have some elevator pitches here for Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name. I say this is Yakuza 6.5. Matt, what's the elevator pitch for Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name?
2: Uh, My pitch for Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, uh, is short but sweet, the perfect Yakuza snack.
0: Short. I'm looking at your playtime over there, and it's short but sweet, Relatively for this uh for this series. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, Flora, what's
1: the pitch? Uh my pitch is the Gagotoku mom saying we have Yakuza games at home and then the yakuza <laughs> games at home, we get this. Uh-huh.
0: All right. So uh kind of along the lines of what Matt said in the pitch there, this is a shorter game for the series. Although like so I played on PC, it took me sixteen and a half hours to beat, which is again when stacked up with the other games in the series uh not the shortest one i've played at least the way that i play but it is relatively short um so where did you all play this and how long did your playthroughs take you
2: so uh mine was on the ps5 uh the ps5 is pretty much for the newer games at least become a dedicated yakuza machine like a dragon machine <laughs> uh though i did play the early games on pc and, uh pc and playstation uh mixed and uh, it took me about 18 hours to st- to finish. Um, I did some of the sub stories, but not all of them. But yeah, it took me about 18 hours, which is, I think, the shortest it's ever taken me to beat a game in this franchise.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, I guess I wasn't anticipating being the one who came here with the most playtime, but I spent twenty eight hours on my PS five playing this game. Um mm-hmm. similar to Matt, I for some reason my PS five has become my Yakuza machine, uh, even though my library of all the Yakuza games is like split between Steam and PS five now. And I, I think what happened is I just sort of like went with this ethos of um taking it a lot slower at first than I ended up taking it at the end. I think like the actual core content, this makes a lot more sense why you both ended up in a similar place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The
0: way that I kind of play these, I will talk about side content, but I kind of dabble in side content unless I get like super addicted to something like I did the business minigame in uh, Yakuza 7. Yeah. Um and so that's why I kind of like I did each of the side things a couple of times but pretty much main quested it for a while so yeah pretty short um as far as that goes. So uh we always start the show out by giving our histories with this game but uh this game in particular we got to kind of talk about our history with the series in question too. So Matt, you've already been on the show talking about this exact question for like an hour and a half. So (laughs) real quick, give a refresher uh, for people who weren't there, maybe. What's your history with the Yakuza series? And then what made you want to play Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name?
2: Sure. So um, I, as I said in that episode, I had known of the franchise for a while, and it wasn't until I started a subseries in Funny games called SideQuest, which both of you have done episodes for, where a friend of mine, uh, Dark Van Dyke, did an episode on Yakuza 0 and listening to it and the escalating insanity that had to do with that game. I went, oh, I have to play this. And then um, due to being displaced during uh, with a fire in my building and having a ton of downtime, this was years ago now, back home. All safe. But because I had a ton of downtime and I was just kind of sitting around all day, I was like, oh, I'll finally play this game. And then I finally played this game and the next one and the next one until I Mm -hmm. played pretty much all of them over the course of that year all the way to Like a Dragon. Um, And then I took a break right before uh, going on Ichiban's Adventure and came back to it, I think, like six months to a year later. And then I've been playing them as they release since. Okay. And uh, Flora, your
0: first time talking about Yakuza on the show. So what was it that brought you to the series and then uh, this game in particular?
1: Strangely enough, I am um, in a Discord server that posts a bunch of different Yakuza gifs. And Uh I, I saw them for years from people like just like, tagging me with Kiryu slamming his fist on the desk or kicking a door open or, like, you name it. And and I was always just, like, there was no context given for these. And there was a very, very small cult in this Discord of, like, three people. But they were obsessively posting this large repertoire of just gifs from this game. And um, so at some point, I, I started stubbornly saying, I'm never going to play these. Like, these are just meme games. No, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and then someone gifted it to me on Steam like on a winter sale for like five bucks and it sat there and sat there and I finally got around to the first one. I, I was streaming a lot more actively at the time on Twitch and I fell in love and like Matt was saying just sort of barreled through the entire series linearly. Um, I have played 13 games that I would consider yakuza games or adjacent games um so at this point it i would say pretty clearly this is like my favorite video game series i wouldn't say any individual yakuza game is my favorite game it's just as a series i get the most excited about this and so with like a dragon gaiden easy day one for me anything in this yeah. universe i'm gonna pick up immediately
0: yeah absolutely what was your first game that you played was it Zero? Zero, yeah okay Yeah, me too. My first one was Zero. Um, I've I've said it on the previous Yakuza episodes on the show, but it was just like I bought a PS4. I looked up, you know, top 10 PS4 games on uh, all these lists, and Yakuza Zero was consistently there. And I watched some reviews by ACG on YouTube, and uh, his reviews just highlighted the ridiculous over-the-top shit that you get into in the series. So it was very much uh, like, okay, well, I have to try that. And then, you know, a tale as old as time, I played Yakuza 0, and then I played Kiwami, and then I played Kiwami 2, <laughs> and then I bought that Remaster collection, and oh, yeah. um, finally caught up. This is the first one that I played right at release. Uh, this was day one, and kind of like you all said, like, this was no hesitation, day one, I'm going to play it. It also launched on Game Pass, so very easy to, you know, jump into that.
1: I feel like the moment you buy the remastered collection, that little trilogy of three, four and five, yeah. that's when you know, you're you're you, you, you've been, like <laughs> yeah. you're down the rabbit hole never to return. Um, so it's beautiful that we've all sort of been there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I also just want to shout out really quick uh, the folks over at 47, uh, specifically Jordan over at 47, because I did get a review copy of this game, which, like, as far as hitting it, whatever the hell that means in indie podcasting, Uh being able to review more than one game this year, or, well, last year as of when this airs, uh, of my favorite franchises is incredible. And the fact that I got a Yakuza game day one as a review code to do stuff Mm -hmm. like this, and I have some write-ups that came out at the end of the year about it, too, like that's so cool so shout out to 47 uh i'm really glad that i got to play this and uh but again yes all of the other ones that i didn't get codes for day one purchases and of course will be in the future forever yeah that's a dream
0: yeah also just like a part of the history with this uh series is the spinoff series judgment flora you mentioned in our group chat that you've played uh judgment and lost judgment i bounced really hard off of judgment the first time i tried to play it and I think it was probably because I just played too many Yakuza games that year, and my brain was like, uh, "Dude, not this. is Not now. Try again later." So maybe another time I'll try them.
1: I also bounced off of Judgment really hard, which is strange. And mm-hmm. I it was a four or five hour stream, which for a Yakuza game was pretty standard for me at that point. And I I don't I don't know if it was exactly like fatigue of this universe or this game style. Um, But my impressions of Judgment were very negative, or at least, like, lukewarm being generous. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lost Judgment, this, like, sequel game to that, is, I think, on par with my favorite games in all of the Yakuza franchises. Okay, And so the fact that it can, like, whiplash in that direction, like, the improvements and the changes, and also just, like the writing investment that I felt in the sequel was so much greater that like now I'm in now I'm hooked and I, okay. I think that if you also bounced off of it there's a small chance you might have a a strong reaction to the sequel like I did
2: yeah interesting yeah I also bounced off like I bounced off it but I think just because I got distracted and I have this habit of starting old games and the new games coming out and I forget about them it's why I've replayed Final Fantasy 10 four times and never finished it uh but maybe the fifth time's the charm but yeah i i i I like judgment well enough i just didn't stick with it but i think if i ever get a moment to breathe between like a dragon games which it doesn't seem to happen anytime soon i may go back to it also
0: yeah i think i was saying in the discord server earlier today uh or in the group chat i forget where but like When we have a year with no new Yakuza games, then I'll go back and try and play Judgment. Or, like, you know, later in 2024, if I'm just fucking fiending for uh, this universe again, uh, I'll go try it again. But yeah. Um, All right. So, some quick opening thoughts before we dive into Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name. I'm already uh, regretting that uh, commitment to the bit. Um, I thought that this would just be like a little side story to tied people over until infinite wealth comes out as we're recording this infinite wealth comes out in about a month uh as you're hearing this it came out about a month ago so we're (laughs) in this weird liminal time here um i thought this would kind of be like a game that would struggle to justify its existence just kind of like a hey let's write a little side story and put it out and it'll be on game pass and people can play it and just a little cute little thing right I was really surprised by the quality and, uh, I think like care put into the story in this game. I didn't expect it. It feels kind of, and we'll talk about this, but in more detail in a bit, but it feels to me like kind of a mix of a closer look at Kiryu's like character and inner struggle than other Yakuza games have given and kind of like a Kiryu's greatest hits game put together. So those two things together, I thought they did, well, I think they did one better than the other, but the one was really good. So it actually stands pretty high in my Yakuza series rankings uh, at the time, which, you know, they, they changed by the day, but I think this game is pretty good. I was also really uh, impressed by like improvements they made to the gameplay. um, And then all in this little bite-sized package, you know, bite-sized in air quotes. So yeah, pretty good.
2: Yeah, for me, I, I'm pretty much in agreement. Uh, I really did, like, I was excited for it and I didn't think I would dislike it because as, uh, um, Dave and I have talked about in the previous episode, we did, there's no bad Yakuza games. Like, even mm-hmm. the worst in the franchise is still a pretty good game. So, like, I wasn't worried that it would be bad, but I was, like, you concerned, like, oh, well, what are they going to do? Like, I really like Kiryu. Are we really going to get something satisfying? And, like, narratively, Well, I think I have a a few complaints. Mostly, I think it's probably one of the best stories in the franchise. If you love Kiryu, but only because of the way the ending lands, and we'll get to that. But Mm -hmm. like, that's what I like. Without that ending, I don't know that I would say that because of where it ends. I think that really like locked it in. Uh, And like combat wise, I think it's got some of the coolest combat in the franchise. Yeah. Uh, Because a lot of the beat-em-ups can be frustrating at times, uh, and I never really felt that with this. I was always kind of happy to punch some fools, so that was nice.
1: (laughs) I'm coming to this conversation extremely mixed about this game, and I... It's unfortunate that the second appearance I'm making on your show, Dave, involves another game that I have, like, complicated feelings about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um But hopefully the good faith of me saying this is my favorite series is, like, enough context to be able to, like, discuss those discrepancies that I I still haven't resolved yet. I'm also sort of hoping that this conversation will be, like, a little bit of a therapy session where I, in the way that when we discussed The Last of Us Part Two, left the conversation feeling a little more charitable to the game than when I arrived to the conversation about it. So... I feel like I strongly agree that the combat is really engaging in this game. I think that some of the mechanics that this game introduces, like the unique ones, especially are the are the ones that I had the most fun playing around with. And I also enjoyed the fact that, in the way that it was described as like a greatest hits sort of uh, dimension to this game, the combat sort of like alternates with styles of combat, um, like like different like modes. And um, I, I thought that was an interesting, almost like nod to Yakuza Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, the like like here's here's a different part that I feel really mixed about though like the sub stories the side content and what are, is going to be described as the Kame missions, um I found to be incredibly rote and I. I didn't get anything out of them, but yet it sounds like I did about 10 more hours of them than either of you. And so maybe that's my issue is that (laughs) like I was really trying to like dig into this content or this mechanic or this like Mm -hmm. this system that rewards me with experience to level up my character. Um I couldn't ever click with that stuff and one of the things that brings me to the Odyssey series is the side content, the substories. Like some sure. of those are the most memorable aspects of the games. Um even something like seemingly dull like Pocket Circuit keeps me hooked. And apparently this game has Pocket Circuit and uh, even though I spent another 10 hours with this game than y'all, I still didn't even see it or encounter it. Mm-hmm. So um there's a lot of stuff like that where I feel like I also barely scraped the surface and yet i was frustrated with the fact that it wasn't so in my face like other games mm-hmm. um and then the final thing i'll say to kind of like lay out my my like initial takes um is that the the moment-to-moment story i agree with matt in that it took me until the ending to feel really like this was clinched as a story worth telling uh-huh. Um, I was sort of wondering if this was going to justify itself throughout my playthrough in a way that most Yakuza stories. I don't find myself questioning that.
0: Yeah, most Yakuza stories are, in my opinion, not really attempting to do like character work the way this game I think is trying to do. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Like it, it. It all was like kind of hanging in the balance until the ending, and then the ending was one of the best endings to any game that i played this year so uh, i can't wait to talk about that in the spoiler section but for (laughs) now we're going to take a break and uh, when we come back we will dive into the story setup of like a dragon gaiden the man who erased his name Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, takes place between Yakuza 6 and Yakuza Like a Dragon. The naming convention is beyond fucked at this point, uh, but think of it as, like I said in the elevator pitch, Yakuza 6.5. It's set in Yokohama at the beginning, which is the same place that Yakuza 7, aka Yakuza Like a Dragon, took place in. Then the rest of the game is mostly in Osaka, which is the same neighborhood as a lot of previous games in the series. Uh, so it is kind of like revisiting your favorite places again. And it stars the longtime series protagonist Kazuma Kiryu, who uh, we thought a long time ago that he had ridden off into the sunset, but he's back. He's the uh, he's the cop who's got one more job and stuff like that. Uh, before we dive into the story, I want to get your takes on this question. Um, since this is Yakuza 6.5, What would you say to someone who's asking, like, can you play this game first? Uh, Because it's on Game Pass, and it's new, and we said the combat's really fun. Um, Do you need to have played Yakuza 6 and Yakuza 7 or any other games in the series to have a good time?
1: I don't think you need to have played other Yakuza games to appreciate the first two thirds of what this story has to offer. I think the back third, and again, no spoilers yet, um that back third is entirely dependent upon your knowledge of the series
2: yeah I, so it's interesting i would have said no you can't start here however um kyle hilliard over at game informer who has been talking for months about how he started with this now he had watched his spouse play i think like a dragon and some of six had she's a fan of the series so he had some awareness of the plot, but said he really enjoyed it, had a great time, is going to play Infinite Wealth just after playing this. So I won't say it's not possible, but I'm inclined to agree with um, Flora, especially like combat-wise, mechanic-wise, you can jump in and have a good time with this, needing none of the context. Um, That said, also because it's shorter than the other Yakuza games, I also might recommend it. I mean, I still think I will always and I've told Dave this before zero and like a dragon are like my two starting points. Zero is the preference. I think you should play the whole thing. But I will agree that like I think you could feel something from the ending of this without having the context. But I don't think it's going to mean as much to you as like it meant to me as someone who had been with Curio all this time. And so, you know, I'm kind of I guess that was a whole long way of saying maybe. You could start with this one. Like, I, I think that's where I'm at. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it, but I wouldn't say, oh, you're making a mistake either, like starting with maybe yeah. four or something.
0: Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, I my initial reaction was the exact same, which is to be like, this is the worst place to start. But I think you would be in a worse place starting by playing Yakuza Five first or something <laughs> like that. Um. I think that this game probably does a good enough job of setting up its story and giving you things along the way to make the ending mean something to you, Uh, but all of us have literally hundreds of hours with this character, so those things will just hit way harder with all of the context and all of the history and everything like that. Like the plot setup of this game is that Kiryu's in a kind of witness protection type situation and that's not new. Like everyone can understand what that story is. Uh but having that context and that long history does make things um hit harder. Both like emotional moments but also some of those moments where I was like this is the fucking aw- this is fucking awesome like the coolest thing I've done this year like those moments wouldn't hit as hard without playing Yakuza 7. So, right. Yeah. Uh it's it's complicated. So yeah, nice uh, nice cop out everybody. Um <laughs> <laughs> So, in like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name, uh you play as Kazuma Kiryu as we said at the end of Yakuza 6, sorry, we're spoiling the end of Yakuza 6, uh, he, but you know, if you start this game up, you'll see it in the first 10 minutes. Uh, he fakes his death at the end of Yakuza 6, and uh, this organization is going to help him do this and put him in this kind of witness protection, as we said, uh, in order to keep him from entangling other people in uh, more Yakuza conspiracies. That's one of the big things about that choice was everybody who's close to Kiryu, because he's this legendary Yakuza, because everyone wants a piece of him, everyone who's close to him has bad things happen, and he wants to put a stop to that. So he's living in anonymity. He's living under the identity of Joryu. And uh, yeah, he's living in a monastery in Yokohama. And so you start out, he's undercover. He's he's living the monk life, chilling, meditating, smoking cigarettes, having a good time, and his cover gets blown like 45 minutes into the game. And then uh, then it's on with the usual Yakuza conspiracies, uh, stuff like that. Um, the man who helped him fake his death named Hanawa, which is a name we're going to say a lot more in the spoiler section when we talk about the story. Uh, Hanawa comes up with an offer to do some like light security work, he says. Uh, Kiryu says no but you know this guy has blackmail material on Kiryu so he's do this work quote lest anything happen to the uh the only thing that Kiryu really cares about which is uh this orphanage that he was taking care of a uh, big plot in yakuza 3 through 6 basically is this orphanage and the kids uh that that are being raised there so um he goes to act security for a smuggling deal but like i said Basically, as soon as you go there, everyone's like, hey, you're the most famous Yakuza in the entire country. Like, I'm a Yakuza. I know who you are. And, um, yeah, the the deal goes bad. There's conspiracies. There's backstabbing. All of these things. And Kiryu's kind of playing damage control uh, for the rest of the game.
2: I love that after the 45-minute mark where your cover is blown, it then continues to get blown, like, every hour on the hour. (laughs) And... (laughs) And every time it's blown, Kiryu goes, I don't know what you're talking about. My yeah, name is Joryu. My name is Joryu. Yeah. Every time. Like, <laughs> like in the spoiler section, there's even a bigger payoff with that. But, like, I just, I think that that, like, that's the kind of nonsense that makes these games incredible. That it doesn't matter how many times this cover's blown, Kiryu, staunch, not wavering, I'm Joryu, and believes it. And, like, I just, I love that i thought it was so amusing that
1: i could never tell which characters fully believed that this was a different person versus (laughs) like saw through it like there was such a consistent like uncanny valley element that i was like okay i it's transparent to me the player and and the game is like it winked and nodded at me enough times to like tell me yes we are aware this is a very thinly disguised thinly veiled sort of like excuse now the other characters, like some of the major plot points, even that lead up to fights involve this identity and like whether or not it's really Kiryu. And so I think that that was just so strikingly odd. Like, I mean, welcome to the AXA <laughs> series, but, um, I, but I had so much fun with that, like discerning which characters were like thick enough to be tricked into this versus, um, like dude, take off your glasses. Come on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> His identity is basically like he doesn't get a new haircut or anything he doesn't grow a beard or anything like that it's just him but he has glasses now so yeah yeah <laughs> um, so this uh series is known for two things i think um flora you put it really well when you said strikingly odd it's known for that kind of tone um while also being super melodramatic crime stories um with like I said, backstabbing and betrayals and like you saw a guy die and then he comes back 15 hours later and he's not dead. Uh, But actually it's a body double, but actually the original guy is still alive too. Like all kinds of stuff like that. Um I thought that like that aspect of this game was fairly straightforward. It's exactly what you would expect from the series. Um I thought the key story takeaway here is that I think they really wanted to put a focus again on Kiryu as a character. And there's a lot more to me, or at least maybe I noticed it more in this game, a lot more introspection from him. Um, He's different, like his personality is different in this game. And so as someone, this is one of those things that you would lose if this was the first game you played in the series. Um, That was interesting to me to see, because while he's trying to maintain his cover, He's also, like, reflecting on his life a lot more. He's more sentimental about stuff that's happened in the past. But also, when he's dealing with people, he's a lot more, like, confident. He takes a lot less shit from people in this game. So, like, that evolution was really cool to see.
1: I think an immediate thought that has been rattling around in my mind is, like, evolution to what exactly? Because um, Song of Life, Yakuza 6, is so dedicated to to bringing closure that I wasn't expecting a game like this in the mm-hmm. character of Kiryu and to like when we saw him in the trailer for Infinite Wealth with um Ichiban I I was like what like in addition to the great haircut but yeah. <laughs> with this game I I think I think I don't know what that stepping stone is to exactly and and part of that, I'm sure, is going to have to wait for the spoiler conversation. But I also like was puzzled at the existence or like the premise of this game in the first place, albeit very excited for it. It just I still haven't figured that out having finished the game.
2: I, I mean, I, w- I would agree pre-playing the game. I felt the same way. Like I didn't need to know where he was between the two games when he shows up in, spoiler alert, he shows up in Yakuza Like a Dragon. But like now that I've played it, I'm like, well, I think it was worth it. I don't know if there's a straight point A to point B journey as far as why it was important, but I don't know that the why matters to me anymore because the what was so impactful. But yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately what's fun about this game is it's kind of a truncated version of the normal nonsense we get out of the franchise, which Mm -hmm. I didn't mind that it was kind of like a, a little more condensed. I mean, especially considering how long they're saying infinite wealth is, which is killing me as someone who plays too many games as it is. But like... I, I do agree also, Dave, that like this is, this, at its core, the basic framework is no different than any other Yakuza game. It is doing the same kind of stuff. Um, and I think that this version of Kiryu, we saw towards the end of Song of Life, but really only in those final moments. And I think it, it, it connects really well to then this Kiryu we're with here, or Joryu, I guess, uh, that, um, That is now, yeah, he's way more confident. He's kind of cocky. He's still like the kind of doofus in the side missions that he always was. One of my, like, it's funny. He goes from stoic hero to absolute himbo when you go from the main story off to the side missions. And I love it. I never get tired of it.
0: Mm -hmm. That's always been part of the heart of the Yakuza series and something that we talked about in our special, you know, why Yakuza rules episode is that this series has always managed to do both things. It can do this melodrama that, like, if you just watch those scenes, you might think, like, this, they take themselves so seriously during some of these cutscenes, scenes. Um, but also, they don't because, like, you know, you'll have one of these serious conversations and then 30 seconds later, you're fist fighting a tiger or something yeah. like that. So, like, this series has always done both of those tones really, really well. And then it, when you do the side stories, like you said it it shifts into this much goofier um but also still somewhat heartfelt or somehow heartfelt um yeah tone to it all it's and this game's no different, like those side stories are goofy as hell, like there's some supernatural shit going on in some of the side stories, which doesn't fit with what happens in the main stories of these games at all, but it's Yakuza, so. Basically anything goes, and I think both those tones are pulled off pretty well here. Um, the, I think where I was going with that, you know, talk about Kiryu's characterization here, and I, you know, before I threw it to you all, is that I think, and this might be recency bias, and it might be because I haven't played some of the other games in like several years at this point. Um, the thought of replaying Yakuza Zero is very enticing but also very frightening to me as someone who also plays way too many games um this feels like some of the best like character writing as far as this series goes for kiryu um lots of stuff where he is you know introspective thinking about his past uh thinking about his role in all of this and um i thought it was really really effective and kind of surprising i did not expect this
1: Do you think that that's specific to Kiryu, um, or do you think that you would also say that about the other characters who take a main presence in this game? Mm,
0: I think a lot of the other characters are pretty standard Yakuza characters to me. Like uh, Akame is one of the other main characters that you meet, the woman who runs kind of like this underground intelligence network in uh, Osaka. She's her and Hanawa are probably the two most prominent side characters in this game. And both of them could fill any role. Akame is basically like the guy who did the exact same job in the other Yakuza games in uh, Kamurocho. Mm-hmm. Um, she's more charismatic than that guy, but there's not. they don't have the depth that Kiryu does in this game. And in a lot of the other Yakuza games, I don't think Kiryu was that deep of a character. He's an intensely likable character, but I don't think they've ever made it a point to really explore how he feels about every little thing the way this game did.
1: Right. Like the emotional focus on Kiryu's introspection makes a lot of sense to me as far as the vulnerability we're offered from his character and what that vulnerability adds to like texture, the other versions of the character we're seeing, like that alternation that Matt was describing with like himbo versus melodrama. Um, I, I, I think the reason I wanted to ask that question is primarily because I didn't really connect with any of the new characters in this game yeah. um including Akame and like and so when you were speaking with praise about the writing of the characters I I definitely agree about Kiryu but I I was wondering if you had like latched on to someone else an Akame or another um uh, but but for me that would I think I can point in most of the other yakuza games to specific secondary characters or at least tertiary sort of like like or even a dual protagonist for example mm-hmm. that um that I would like sort of get hooked on and feel invested in and feel the nuance about their portrayal um i really didn't get that here and in fact back to the idea of the greatest hits sorry to keep harping on that point but i really felt like a lot of the new characters particularly the antagonists were like majima stand-ins like like they were sort of just like filling tropey roles of what I would expect a Yakuza game to do. And they were like really visually distinct. I just don't remember a lot about like their, their like motivations as characters.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, the praise about character writing is if I didn't say it outright, I wrote it in this, in the notes this way. It's specifically talking about Kiryu. Yeah. The other characters are pretty, interchangeable with characters that have filled similar roles in other uh yakuza games for
2: sure yeah i think the overall writing is still pretty great in this game but i do agree that yeah there yeah there's no like especially after like a dragon was had so many interesting characters because it was a huge cast that you fell in love with literally almost all of them this does feel like less than that but i think My defense for it would be Kiryu's the one we're here for, right? Like, he is the focus of this story in a way that he wasn't even in the other games. Because after, like, two, even in Zero, like, he's not the only focus. And so, like, because this is mostly the first game that is 100% focusing on him, besides maybe Song of Life, they really kind of zoomed in. And, I yeah, I agree. I think the other characters though written well, kind of become a little forgettable because of that focus. But I do believe it was probably intentional on some level.
1: Yeah, and I think that, like, maybe to speak a little bit of um, positivity back into my characterization with my question, like, I would say that the other games were focused on, like, scale of, like, inner clan, internecine warfare between different factions of Yakuza and and whatnot. Whereas this game is very much focused on, like, the antagonist in this game always have some sort of like fulcrum for character development for kiryu um yeah. they are there to teach him a lesson about what he needs to learn about himself and so um like whatever that might mean and so uh, i i can say that it's effective all of all of the placement of the characters are effective i just didn't get attached uh to the to the secondary characters in the way i was i think either expecting or used to
0: Matt, you mentioned the writing, and I want to take this opportunity to just shout out the uh, localizers for Ryuga Kotoku, who are some of the best in the business at, number one, just just writing interesting dialogue and stuff like that. But also, I feel like they do a great job of localizing dialects and, um, you know, this is a rich person, they speak a certain way, this is a street thug, they speak a, a certain way. These are regional people. Maybe this person is from like a more uh, rural area or something like that. They speak a different way and they have localized all of that from Japanese to English in ways that make sense, in ways that are entertaining, uh, in ways that are very funny. I mean, hats off to localizers everywhere because it's it's a really difficult thing to translate things like humor and dialect and all of that into different languages But I feel like every time I do a Yakuza game on this show, I have to shout out the people who do it uh, for these games because they are just incredible at this.
2: Yeah, completely. Like I never feel lost or like, oh, that's worded funnily. And I mean, most games now at this point, are at that point, I think it was, you know, a bygone era of like things kind of not lining up, whereas most yeah. of the time I don't feel it. But I also just feel so steeped in this world. And mind you, I've never been to Japan, though I've always wanted to go. But I like I feel like I know the culture and this place just from these games beyond what I've learned in other places. And I think that's a testament to how much they bring you in by knowing how to translate that to a way that we understand
1: Right. And I would also say that, like, one of the successes of this series, because I think it has a strength overall as the localization across all the games, is it also doesn't condescend to you, the player yeah. who doesn't really have that context either. Like, it's going to mm-hmm. throw out, like, a term for a type of food that you're probably not going to know unless you've had octopus balls before. But it's not going to say <laughs> octopus balls, right? It's going to yeah. say takoyaki. And, like, I... I'm never going to try Takayaki, but I love that. I know what that is now. And, um, like these games just, they, they do this really great striking of a balance between assuming some degree of cultural intelligence and like wherewithal, but also like making those accommodations. Like the fact that it can be funny is kind of a miracle.
0: Yeah. Along those lines too, like for someone who's listening to this, who's never played one of these games and doesn't know like their general strengths, um, I have been to Japan uh, many times uh, when I was living overseas nearby, and one of the best parts about these games is recreating these Japanese cities in fictionalized ways, but they are still very, very close to the original thing. Uh, you don't go to Kamurocho in this game, which is a uh, the Red Light District. It's based on the Red Light District in Tokyo, uh, where I have been and spent a night out, um, they recreate it beautifully in this. Uh, same with the neighborhood in Osaka, where you spend most of this game. The feel of it, like this intangible feel of the neighborhood, it's here in the uh, the game, and it's really great. And also, flora, if you ever get a chance, you should try takoyaki. It's fucking delicious. It's fantastic.
2: <laughs> I, I want to try it so badly.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, the things that made the series strong, like the the writing, the humor the recreation like that virtual tourism aspect of Japan, uh, the melodrama, the goofiness is all here in Like a Dragon and the man who erased his name. Uh, so um, you can look forward to those whether you're a longtime fan or coming to it for the first time. I want to bring up something that I believe Flora brought up in the opening section, which is my biggest criticism of this game's story, uh, which is the pacing, I think. Yeah. Uh, this is The shortest game in the series other than maybe Yakuza 6. But it still felt like it was too long to me. Uh, Like it felt very artificially padded in some places. Like this could have been a DLC story for Yakuza 7. um, And that it grew into its own game. It, It has that feel to it. Like in every Yakuza game, there's a main quest that takes you to a coliseum. And you have to fight some people in the Colosseum, the underground Colosseum, in the seedy underworld of whatever city the game's taking place in. This game makes you do that, but it takes up a larger percentage of the entire game. This game also has a lot of sections where they will say, they'll literally just tell you, here's a list of side quests. You have to do a bunch of these side quests before you can move on with the game which is not something that the other games really do because they have dozens of hours long stories. Uh so I think a, a lot of stuff that's optional in other games is mandatory in this game. And so like I think that the main story without all of this extra fluff would have been like 5 to 10 hours long, something like that. Uh but because the stuff is here and if you're into the coliseum fights then you're going to you're gonna dig that stuff. If you're into go going and doing these sub stories, then it might not bother you. It didn't like bother me, bother me. But I noticed this game as being padded, even though it's only 15 hours long.
2: Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there. I think. Look, I'm always saying, give me shorter games, shorter yeah. or better. Like I've got stuff to do. Like I want to get. If if it's satisfying, I don't care how long it is. Um. And so yeah, I I, I agree with you that I wish they kind of were braver to make this an eight hour game that was just completely satisfying from point to point than making you have to rise the ranks of the coliseum which you're rarely forced to do in the other games you kind of can do you're forced to do a match or two and then you can do whatever you want um and then yeah like the side like i like the sub stories like floor was saying earlier there's some of the best stuff and there are some really good ones in this game but forcing you to do them you run out of the good ones real quick uh and i think that that's the biggest problem with like the length of it i think if it were just kind of more streamlined and they dropped some of the forced side missions some people might complain that it's too short but i don't i don't know i i think people would be happier with that way than forcing you through some of the side stuff that elongates it
1: I think that this is the moment where I have to out myself for missing our initial recording deadline for this game because (laughs) I I think that um, the reason that I was so far behind where I thought I would be is because every single time I was released into this game from like a story point, there would be a ton of exclamation points all over the map and they don't take a ton of time to necessarily complete but I had a compulsion to wipe out the map and clear it every single time. And so the result, like the flip side of that is that I didn't experience subjectively like pacing issues with that main narrative because from my perspective, it was like I was the one incurring all of the wrath upon myself. (laughs) And so though I was still frustrated and a little bored with what some of the side activities had to offer, um, although Dave's comment still makes me chuckle to myself about like you'll never believe what people are losing up in trees um <laughs> like like the sort of stuff that you get up to in this game is absurd as you would hope but um but the the flip side is i thought i was doing that to myself um it sounds like if you don't take on all that extra stuff then you're going to get like road blocked in almost a grindy way and that's that's like way more frustrating to hear about
0: yeah, and that plays into like this criticism of the pacing because every single Yakuza game has tons of optional stuff that you can do anytime you want when you're not feeling like doing the next story mission. Right. Uh, there is almost infinite ways to spend your time in these games. Uh, you know, we'll talk about in the gameplay, but all the side activities, sub stories, stuff you mean, go around and hunt and get stuff down from telephone wires and stuff like that. Like, These games have this stuff built in, but it's always optional. So the fact that a lot of that optional stuff that, you know, I like doing some Coliseum fights, but I I never beat the whole Coliseum in any of these games. So the fact that I was forced to do more of it, it kind of made me see the puppet strings more than I normally do, where they're like, oh, they... They were storyboarding this and they were like, well, the the main quest takes six hours. We need to pad this out. And it really, it felt like I could just notice it here. And that, that always kind of sucks when you notice it.
1: It's weird because like, there are some really strong things I could say about this game, like the animation quality or something yeah. like that. Like, yeah. like even how fun the combat is. Um, I don't want to completely denigrate it based on the pacing issues. But I also fully agree that like either have the confidence to make this a dlc and like trim out the fat or i would say this i there's no way this could work financially but like how cool of a demo would this be like we were speaking about final fantasy 16 and how the demo felt like really self-contained in a way that like made you super hyped to play the rest of the game Mm -hmm. if i had played a more truncated or abbreviated or even just edited for clarity sort of version of this game um i wonder what that would do to get people into infinite wealth because clearly that's what this game is here for yeah. um as much as it is to like maybe give a little bit of a windfall of funding in between major releases
0: and you know criticisms aside i do want to like make it clear that this game does have some of my favorite story content some of my favorite missions yeah. in yeah. the series so like that contrasts with the times when you know they say you cannot advance the story right now. And it's not for a story-related reason. They just say, reach silver level in the Coliseum and then you can advance the story. And I'm like, I don't have to be doing this right now. Like, we we could have thought of something else or, like Matt said, we could have had the confidence to just make this a shorter main story. Um, Because I think the people who are in the pocket for this game, Yakuza 6.5, a side story that happens alongside the last game and is leading into the next game in the series the people who are in the pocket for it are probably going to play this and do a bunch of side content anyway because that's one of the things that people like about the series um did you all have fun with the sub stories uh like these are always that contrast like i said the more serious not totally serious. Again, you fist fight tigers in main story moments all the time in this series. But like yes. the contrast to the main series, serious like melodrama of the main quest is often these goofy sub stories that get Kiryu you into wild situations. What did you all think about these in this game in particular?
2: I think for me, they were kind of average. They weren't the worst because we've all played Eshin and I'd say most of the sub stories <laughs> in Eshin were pretty forgettable, though there were a few good ones. Um, and so, like, I was at least happy that I enjoyed playing most of these, even if I didn't think narratively or, like, content-wise, they were the best. Like, I was never, I, I was maybe sometimes a tiny bit disappointed, but I was never like, oh, this sucks, right? Which, like, I know that happened a bunch with Ishan. Um, I will say that they are less memorable in this game than a lot of others, but the ones that are memorable are some of the best they've ever done. And so I think that, like, it's that dichotomy that helps it from getting completely tarnished is that even though I don't think it lives up to the best in the series like Zero and Kwame 2 and stuff, it does still have some really great ones uh, that kind of elevate the rest of the baseline.
1: I guess I'm really wondering which of the sub stories in particular you're, you're speaking with Praise about because I can't actually pick one out and place one as as memorable and that's sort of like a damning with faint praise sort of thing i don't want to say that it's it's bad it's very average um but in this game it felt to me like the akame missions sort of filled the role of sub stories and i didn't run into sub stories nearly as much like the ratio of them to the main story was so much lower at least in the way i was running about the city or something and so I, I feel like I did less of them overall, and have less to say about it. Um, the the stuff that was functionally being a sub story was just like grab this out of the tree, fight this like like entourage of dudes, like pick up this briefcase, bring this guy takoyaki, like like that's kind of the extent of it.
0: Oh. You know, um, I misspoke. When I say substories, I mean the Akame missions because they are the substories from the old games. They're all just concentrated in one quest giver in a way that the old games don't do them. Right. So the ones that you run into by just talking to people on the street, like, you know, get this kid's toy down from a tree, bring this guy Takoyaki, the way you would run into old sub-stories in the old games. Um, I can see how that would be confusing the way I worded it. But the Akame missions are what I was talking about here. I kind of think that they are fine. Um, some of them, I think serve that purpose of helping Kiryu introspect or like look back on the past uh, in an effective way. And some of them also fulfill the role of like the, uh, the clip show, like the greatest hits type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall You know, I made it a point, we'll talk about it in the spoiler section, like the specific ones, but like, I made a point to write down the ones that I thought were really noteworthy, and there are three that I wrote down. So it's like, kind of a mixed bag.
2: I probably have the same three. I'd be curious. Pro- yeah, that's <laughs> probably. That's what I was talking about too. Yeah, I'd I'd inferred. Um, yeah the the getting the the smaller stuff that you're speaking to Flora, I would agree, are almost completely forgettable. Other than the first time you zipline something out of a tree, like yeah, that was, and, <laughs> and I would argue right. is always fun, but not yeah. super memorable. It's like insert item here, but otherwise it's interchangeable.
1: Right. Like, I can, I can tell you for days, like, anecdotes from, for example, Yakuza Zero about the Buracero ring or something. Yeah. Like, like, I, I will distinctly remember that for the rest of my life. And here's why. But with this game, like, I, I mean, I do remember pulling a woman's underwear from a tree once. But, um, but like, there, I don't have an anecdote to give beyond yeah. that. Like, that's right. just a fact about an action I took in a video game. I got experience for that. It was great. Right.
0: There's nothing that reaches the levels of like the phone sex mini game yeah. side quest in Yakuza zero or the uh-huh. baby club, uh, side quests that you do in many of the other games. Um, most of them don't really reach that, that height. And I, I think that, you know, honestly, if they're, they have the same writing staff, they're probably saving all the good stuff for infinite wealth.
2: So likely. Yeah.
0: So I guess just to wrap up this section about the story, um, we probably, we can't, I'll just say we can't talk about the most interesting stuff about the story in the non-spoiler part and some of the most effective stuff. We've been dancing around and kind of saying it's there, but we can't say what it is quite yet. So hold on until the spoiler section if you want to hear that stuff. Uh, otherwise, bounce out and play it. Again, it's a it's a short, relatively short game. Um, it's on Game Pass at the time of recording, so uh, you can experience those story things for yourself. For now, we will listen to some music come back and talk about some aesthetic things about the game. I think this game looks really great, and Yakuza games usually look good. They go for a photorealistic type of style. Uh, This game has some of the best character designs I think out there as far as games that try to make regular people, you know, in their games. They have very very distinctive faces. The clothing is outlandish and memorable. We were talking in the green room about something we'll talk about in the spoiler section about a guy that Once you see the shirt he wears, you'll never forget it. You'll recognize him no matter where he shows up. And then uh, recreating the cities like I talked about uh, earlier. They do a great, great job of that visually. So I'm not always like impressed by photo realism as far as like art styles and video games. But Yakuza games always impressed me because of those things. And this is the newest one. So it looks better than the old ones.
2: Yeah, completely agree. It's funny. I think the first time I clocked it was in Yakuza 0 when uh, Nishiki and uh, Kiryu were having a drink together on the giant ice cube with the liquor. And I'm not even a drinker anymore, but like it looked like I could grab it off the screen, and it's only gotten better. And yeah, I agree. This game, it's one of the best-looking PS5 games I've played in a year filled with incredibly good-looking PS5 games. Mm -hmm. So like there was no shortage of them. But I think the realism, the real, the, the lack of gritty realism, right? Like, I think what I love about Yakuza's realism is it's always shiny. It always sparkles. Like, Uh (laughs) you cannot, you cannot argue that games like Final Fantasy XVI and The Last of Us 2, Part 2, and uh, like all look really well made, but like, I tend to not, pay pay as much attention or take in as much of it because it's also a lot of brays and grays and browns and reds and like it's meant to be grimy. Whereas this, like everything sparkles, shines, neon bright colors, and they all look great. Um even these fictional like locations they create that we're going to talk about in the spoiler section, like all look phenomenal and like I could just step into the screen and go there. And it's it's one of my favorite things about taking in these games. It's like they're just a feast for the eyes, absolutely.
1: I definitely agree with all of that. And I will say like the one maybe nuance I have within that, that perspective is like what these games do astonishingly well is incredibly selective um matt mentions the sort of the ice cube whiskey situation and like how particularly striking that one was i think of an ashtray design from the same game which just like there's no reason it had to be modeled that well (laughs) and then meanwhile like there's like a house plant sitting in the corner that's like three pixels um I think in a calendar year where we got the Ishin Remaster or remake, however you want to look at that, um, I was feeling sort of wishy-washy about that game and how muddy it was, like quite literally how muddy it was in the streets, but also just the art design sometimes, it was really inconsistent in a way that I wasn't in love with. I do think that this is one of the best looking Yakuza games. Um, and so it, it at least has that going for it in terms of like rendering quality, photorealism. I also want to say the animations in this game are astonishingly good. Like, especially uh-huh. facial animations, action during cutscenes, and also the. this is one of the first games in the series that has a really seamless transition between cutscene and action, like, playability. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's just PS5 version or if PC versions do it the same way. I'm sure they do. Oh, yeah. uh, but the fluidity in that felt really great to me, and I'm not used to that because, like, just a few Yakuza games ago, I was loading to go into the Popo store. So... Right. Here we are. Or yeah. you know, you're
0: running down the street and you know, some some dudes come up and want to fight you and you have to do a loading screen to go into like the battle. Um right. nothing like that. It's instantaneous in this game. I'm glad you mentioned the animations cuz I wanted to touch on those too, like especially uh like fight cutscene choreography is always really really entertaining. Um especially in some of these like multi-phase boss fights like you'll fight a dude you'll knock down a health bar or two and then you'll just get like this 20 second cutscene of them you know throwing each other off balconies and stuff like that and it's always really really well done lip syncing in these games is really great also like i think uh i think rgg does a lot with like asset reuse and stuff because they make so many of these fucking games uh, but they are making them look really really good
2: yeah yeah, i agree there was it was funny having played these all back to back there was this moment in uh, yakuza like a dragon god these name conventions are gonna kill me uh <laughs> and like the first time you see familiar faces that i won't even spoil in that game and like how good they looked when i had seen that character like a game ago and they just didn't look that good and yeah. like that's the same thing i noticed when characters like that familiar characters showed up in this game i was like Man, this is the best you've ever looked, and you're an attractive man to begin with. So, like, it's just, it's, it's those things like that were really striking. And, like, even Kiryu, like, the unfortunate thing about this franchise spanning the way it did is like the jump from Kiwami 2 to 3 and then like 5 to (laughs) 6, like, there's this Kiryu's face just changes drastically. And, like, Mm -hmm. we're now at a place where those faces are pretty consistent, especially from like 6 to 7 to now ishan in this and like i really it was just very even more striking than i think it had been before
1: i actually think the one inconsistency with his appearance is his eyes in this game i don't know (laughs) if either of you felt this way but his eyes in this game were very glassy very hard and very, like, monochrome in a way that I'm not used to seeing in Kiryu. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's somewhat nostalgia lens, like, like goggling on my past experiences, or if it's really a contrast. But everything else I felt was great. Like, he he's a little more gaunt now, I think yeah. I would say. But his mm-hmm. eyes, if I really felt like there was something there. And I, I don't know if that is intentional or not.
2: Based on information that was spoiled for me in a trailer that I won't spoil here for Infinite Wealth... It seems like it might be intentional and related to you saying how he looks more gaunt, but I don't know. I I think I mean also having just the last game, the last mainline game I've been pl- having played was like a, a Yakuza like a Dragon, where he mostly looks the same in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I didn't notice it as much, but it could it could be intentional. It's it's unclear actually you
1: saying that makes me realize like i think i have that same realization in like a dragon so like i wonder if like the fact that those are yeah. explicitly connected means like yes that is intentional or again mm-hmm. it could just be like here's the new model and it just looks yeah. a little bit different and i just need to get used to it right yeah
0: uh did you all play this with english voice acting or japanese
1: always japanese always japanese,
0: always japanese. that's the correct answer um the Japanese voice actor for Kiryu is Takaya Kuroda, who is just the king. He yeah. he is incredible. One of my favorite voice actors uh, out there. He I could never hear him do any other character, and he would still be one of my favorites uh, for the way he does Kiryu. It's fantastic. It's to the point where like you could hire my other favorite voice actor who does English voice acting to do Kiryu, and I would still play in Japanese because... The, these games in particular, like I like to play games, if they're set in real places, I like to play in the language that they speak in that real place. I right. played uh, A Playtale Innocence with French voice acting because uh, it felt better and I don't mind reading subtitles. These games, Yakuza, are like the poster child for please play them with Japanese voice acting. I don't care if Mark Hamill voices Majima in Yakuza <laughs> 1. Do it in Japanese because they... Yeah they're fantastic. I don't think any of the emotion in any of the scenes is ever lost by not being able to like hear and understand what they say. Uh, the ending of Yakuza, like a dragon made me cry. Um, and you know, stuff in this game as well, uh, hits super hard. So recommendation from the three of us play with Japanese voice acting
1: absolutely and this is a conversation i've been having since like i was in middle school with anime where like (laughs) i'm a pretty hardcore like sub fan when it comes to anime like we are subtitling our way through this and i think part of it is i've always felt that the melodrama of the japanese voice acting doesn't scale to the english language in the same way Mm -hmm. um like when you hear like like it's it's iconic to hear like nutty um or like like (laughs) other sorts of things like if i just hear what like like Okay. I'm used to that. I'm dulled to that. It doesn't strike me as like, like, like it doesn't have the tone to me of, of the words that I'm used to in my own native language. And so, um, I'm not saying it's wrong to play with Eng- English voice acting here, but I did play one game. It was the first judgment game in English. And, um, I think that largely contributed to why I failed to resonate with it. It didn't mm. feel right. It didn't like, immerse me to the degree that when i play with japanese it did but like right before we started recording the english dub dropped on this game so i'm sure many people will choose to play it that way
2: yeah i mean i'm i'm in agreement uh although i will say with anime i grew up in the tsunami era so like cowboy bebop um um outlaw star and a bunch of others had incredible the world of steve bloom who who voices everyone like like those, those anime I watched in English because they were some of the highest quality, but I agree. Like I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z in Japanese. Those are the voices I hear in my head when I'm reading any of that stuff. And so mm. this absolutely like, it's funny. I had this experience with Persona 5 Royal earlier this year where all the kids go on a trip to the US and they talk. Yeah, but nobody here speaks Japanese and I I I don't know English they said in English. And I was like, oh okay. Like <laughs> yeah. that took me out of that moment immediately. I forget it ten minutes later because those voice actors are so great and it's such a charismatic cast. But like that moment happened. Uh and so like I, I like Dave also try and play if something is very specifically set somewhere, I guess with the exception of Persona Five, which was obviously set in Japan. Um, I try to also use it. But also this, like, I believe Yakuza Zero is only in Japanese. And so like I started that way. Mm. And so, like, since then, subsequent games have had English casts who do a fantastic job. But, like, because I started that way and then just got used to the voice actors, like, I just uh, always will play in Japanese. The hardest game going from Kiwami 2 to 3, uh, the remastered version, it's still the same voice actor. But that is the first time he is voicing that character, I think, at least for the American audiences. And so... It sounds so different from then the later performances as he fine tunes it. But beyond that, I agree like uh, kuroda's is, is absolutely king. His Kiryu is emotive in a way that I don't know that I could explain. Uh, Cosmic Kiryu has quickly become one of my favorite video game characters of all time. Yeah. And a lot of that is absolutely key to his performance, especially in this game.
0: Yeah, and and by all accounts, like the English voice acting in Yakuza Like a Dragon was really good, also. Yeah. Uh, but I I didn't play it, and the guy who does the Japanese voice of Ichiban fucking crushes it. Oh yeah. So, yeah, yeah, Um, a little bit of controversy with the English voice actor for Kiryu in this game. Um, I'm actually don't know how to pronounce. I've never said his name out loud before. Young yeah, young yeah. Okay, he's um, a YouTuber. Yeah, I've I've watched him on YouTube. He doesn't say his name in his videos, so um, <laughs> yeah, he's the voice of Kiryu in English. Uh, I looked up some videos of uh, some of the scenes from Infinite Wealth because they released a like a demo with English voice acting, I think, or maybe it was just a trailer, something like that. I don't want to just come out and say that it's bad voice acting because there is also the thing of like. This is a person voicing a character who I have a very established voice in my head of what that character sounds like. But I will just leave it at, please play this game in Japanese, please. Uh, There are scenes in this game that I think depend on it.
2: (laughs) I would agree.
1: I don't necessarily have an opinion, and I haven't listened to Yongya's performance here uh, but when he was the one who was cast for this role, I remember feeling incredibly shocked, like like almost like a direct feeling of, of worry because, A, this character is so iconic in the way that he's portrayed normally. So like everything you're saying, um, the original voice actor is is the only voice actor as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I, I don't know how to give this new voice actor stepping into this role a chance yeah. in a meaningful yeah. way.
2: Um, like, it,
0: I I feel like I don't have room in my heart for a different voice for Kiryu. And if that's on me, then that's on me. But that's the way it is.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like uh, Majima showed up in a game where there's an English cast and Matthew Mercer was cast as him. And Matthew Mercer's incredible voice actor who's done a ton of great stuff, but still not my Majima. And like, yeah, I'm sure his <laughs> performance is phenomenal because even in games that I haven't loved, his performances are always exceptional because he's a great voice actor, but just not. That won't work for me because I just – there's something about someone yelling Kiryu-chan that like – which I won't even attempt to intimidate uh, – to uh, to <laughs> reproduce. But like that I just – I couldn't hear it in any other voice. It just wouldn't work, you know? And so like, yeah, I, I, I think I'm sure that the English dub is great because RGG does a great job with that stuff. It's just not for me. And, and yeah, I will always encourage the Japanese version.
0: yeah. And across the board, like not just Kiryu, every character does charismatic. I mean, like maybe not just some dude you talk to, you know, the the clerk at the the convenience store or something like that. Like they say their line and it sounds okay, but I don't speak Japanese, so I can't really like critique voice performances to that level. But like every main character is super charismatic. Uh, they're all great. I wanted to especially shout out Akame's voice actress, Uika, First Summer, Uh, She's great. Super, super charismatic and memorable. And uh, I will hear Joryu in my head forever
1: in my sleep. Yeah. I was doing a little preliminary reading, and apparently she's released many songs of her own, like singles and such, um, Mm -hmm. independent of this voice performance. And so I don't know if either of you um, spent any time karaokeing with um Akame but like oh, yeah. her vo- her voice yeah. is rather strong and like it turns out that she has like a separate career going on so Sick. um i
2: to me that speaks to why the other performances in her
1: voice are so strong
2: yeah sure also Kuroda in every karaoke of every game since oh, the yeah. beginning yeah. just the best performances the fact that <laughs> he just goes for it and often sounds incredible but like even when it's clearly a song not meant for someone in his range he still Absolutely kills it in the best
0: way. Good voice performances of somebody singing badly at karaoke.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Exactly.
0: So, gameplay in *Like a Dragon: Guide and the Man Who Erased His Name*. This goes back, uh, *Like a Dragon*. Damn, the naming is fucking me up too. *Yakuza: <laughs> Like a Dragon*. The previous game um, in the release timeline was a turn-based RPG. This goes back to the old style, the action brawler combat, like the other games that Kiryu stars in. Um, I talked earlier about how they recreate these cities, um, but. The other part of that is that these are open world games. Uh, You can go anywhere on the map, you know, other than certain times in the story where they're like, maybe don't go here. Um, You can go anywhere. You can go into a bunch of stores. You can go into uh, all kinds of side activities, bars, whatever, go do side quests. But when I say open world, they are contained open worlds. They're relatively small. Like it take maybe take you two minutes to run from side to side of the map. Uh, and that allows them to pack them really densely with stuff to do like a real Japanese city is, uh, they're very, very, uh, dense places with businesses and stuff like that. So before we talk about combat, uh, cause the combat has new stuff to talk about, let's just talk about those side activities and the, the way that you spend your time out in the open world. Uh, so This game has a lot of the classic side activities. We mentioned karaoke. You can go sing by yourself or with a a partner. Um, It has the driving range. It has uh, pool. It has pocket circuit, which is slot car racing. Uh, It has mahjong, if you know how to play that. It has shogi, if you know how to play that. Uh, It has a cabaret club. All kinds of ways to spend your time. So what of these, uh, or anything that I didn't mention maybe, did you spend time doing?
1: I didn't really spend a lot of time investing in the side activities in this game um, compared to how I usually might. And it really mm-hmm. depends on the Yakuza game for me. Um, like when I played Yakuza 0, the intention was to platinum that game. When I played Like a Dragon, I platinumed that game, etc. So, so that requires a long-term investment in some of these side activities that with this game, I didn't try and pressure myself to complete anything. Um, the first two chapters, I did... Anything and everything that was sort of accessible to me. Um, and so I did initially dabble and some of those Akame missions involve going to the driving range or doing pocket circuit or billiards or whatever. But when I see your list, I somehow didn't know there was a cabaret club in this game. Um, huh. and, and so like the, the night and day nature of this experience, I don't think I entered an arcade or anything like that. Like I feel like I really skimmed. Side stuff, because once I realized that, oh my god i 'm taking forever in these chapters and I need to start working through the story, I just ignored everything else, and I bet some of that stuff opens up later, and I just never found it
2: yeah i I didn't do a ton of the side stuff too, but I did the favorites, like I did pocket circuit, very addicting. Um, I did very. karaoke because I just love the music videos and and all like they go they go all out on those. I did the Cabaret club, but I was kind of taken aback so. Anyone who knows anyone who plays these games. The Cabaret Club is a ton of fun because it's like a resource management sim where you're like managing the girls, picking what tables they go to, kind of like the manager of the club. This game is so different. In this game, you're attending the clubs and chatting with the young women who work there, but also the young women are all FMV, like it's all FMV style. It's not. Yeah. It's not club manager like it's been in a bunch of the other games. And I was completely thrown off by it. Still fun, all lovely, but, like, definitely threw me for a loop initially because they hadn't really... They had done that with, like, some photography minigames. They had done FMV with actual people before. But I just wasn't expecting it with the Cabaret Club. Billiards I hated. You have to play it at least once. I'm bad at pool in real life. I'm bad at pool in a video game. So, like, didn't touch that. And then Mahjong and Shogi, I just i i i have friends i have friends who competed on a professional level in mahjong and yet i still have no clue how to play that game (laughs) one of the things that i
1: noticed that was really striking to me um because with like a dragon and with yakuza 0 the two games i tried to platinum um i was able to play them on pc and so i had a lot more like precision control over like darts billiards whatever um this was my first time having to like work through those things on a controller and i found that to be agonizing and i just want to reassure anyone who might be like deciding which platform to go for to like maybe i'm going to be an achievement hunter here um I really missed the option of like dual wielding a controller and a mouse or just like mm. even just having my mouse sensitivity up because I couldn't throw a bullseye and darts in this game to save my life. <laughs> um, Another reason I probably didn't go super deep with this stuff.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I, I played, I did mostly, I beat all the driving range mini games because I, I love the driving range. I was sad there's no batting cages. That's always <laughs> my favorite in these games. <laughs> So I did the driving range. I played Pocket Circuit Slot Car Racing, uh, which I had ignored in Yakuza Zero, but like I didn't understand what to do. And uh, playing it in here, I was just like, "Oh, this is just adjusting stats. This is adjusting right. gear in an RPG, but it's <laughs> slot car racing." Uh, right. So I played quite a bit of that. I did all the karaoke songs multiple times. I just, you know, if I'm if I have the game on and I'm like, well, I got 10 more minutes to play. I, I can't start a new main story mission. I'll go sing a few karaoke songs or something like that. Uh, the Cabaret Club, uh, I hated it in this game. I I don't want to sit here with FMV cabaret girls talking to me. I'm just, it's just like, I don't want this in a Yakuza game. Um, it's similar to kind of like the more like like they're not porn, but they're like the sexy mini games and a lot of the other yakuza games that use FMV um, with like real adult actresses and stuff. Yeah, and you know that's cool. I don't care that it's there, but I don't I don't do those in those other games either. So as soon as I saw that in this game, I was like, well, I'm never going back there again. Just not my bag, baby. Um, yeah, so. Mostly karaoke and driving range for me uh for side activities. Um I tried to hit the restaurants because I like uh yeah. seeing what all they have, uh yeah. including the Jackson Burger, uh my namesake. And um yeah, so as you're you're rolling around uh the town, kind of exploring, doing side content, that kind of leads you into the other part of the gameplay, which is combat, because I don't know how you all feel about this, we'll get into it, but Every couple minutes, you'll run up on a gang of uh, people out on the street who have a problem with you, and then you'll get into, like, quote, random encounters. So uh, that involves you fighting a big bunch of dudes. And then, of course, there are boss fights against, you know, single, very strong enemies throughout the game, too. Uh, But this is action combat. uh, And this is the first of the, like, classic brawler combat games that I've done on the show. Uh, I did Ishin, but you're fighting with a sword and a gun in that game. Uh, so it's, it's quite different. mean, um, this one is just all fisticuffs unless you decide to pick up a motorcycle and bash somebody with it. So for those who are unfamiliar, you have a punch button, you have a kick button and a grab button, and then you can like make combos between those. And then you have these context sensitive, they call them heat actions in the game. They're finishing moves, basically. Uh, you fight people, you build up this gauge. When it's full or you fill one segment, you can do one of these moves um, to either just defeat somebody, not kill, not kill. Never
1: kill. Never kill.
0: Never. Kiryu operates like Batman. Um, he doesn't kill anybody. He might break their spine, but they're not dead. And they apologize to him after
2: it's all over. Yeah, he, he may need a combat knife into your chest, but you're still yeah, alive. You're still alive. And you're thankful for the experience. That's exactly. that's one of
0: the key parts. Like everyone learns a lesson after Kiryu sticks their head in a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this combat is better than any of the other brawler Yakuza combat systems. Um it may not have as much variety as Yakuza Zero, but it this feels the best. Like in the small things like i'm facing the direction i want to face my punches are h- hitting the person i want to hit stuff like that uh in the fluidity of it too i think this feels the best
1: i am still gonna die on the hill of zero being my favorite yeah. here um part of it is because of the over-the-top nature of the animations in combat and oh, like the, you the, suggest the break dancing and the break yeah, dancing yeah, yeah. like like oh my god um i love some of the things um in this game that are new, like the gadgets, which we're going to talk a little more about in a second, um, I found them really engaging. But the way you have to use them, I thought was imperfectly implemented. Yeah. Um, for example, uh, if I can talk about the spider gadget, it's yeah. sort of a you whip out a little web and loop yourself around somebody like a lasso and yank them towards you across the map and you can upgrade this to like I can suddenly grab four people and throw them all against this crowd of other enemies and do massive amounts of damage and chaos. It's great. It's incredibly useful. But I found personally that initiating that animation was so inconsistent for me. Like I would sit there and hold because you have to hold your buttons to activate these gadgets in the game. Yeah. I would hold the circle button and it wouldn't do anything and i would just take a punch to the Mm. face and there were so many moments like that in combat where like okay you had some really great ideas of how to make this brawler combat more dynamic and interesting and new and fresh but there were still some rough patches for me like that that i i ended up just really struggling with all the way up until the end
2: i mean i i would so i agree i think that the the spy gadgets when they were at their best were incredible, but at their worst were rough. That said, as someone who is only ever in any game played in the equivalent of the beast fighting stance, because it's the best one. I mostly did the brawler stuff and had a little issue. I will say, the first thing I do in every modern Yakuza game, as soon as I get a heat action, is I go to find punks on a bridge so I can fight them and do the best heat ama- animation ever, which is just <laughs> Kiryu yeeting them off the bridge. Literally just <laughs> lifting and throwing them off. And what's the best part is it's Looney Tunes style. Like As he's let them go, it zooms in on the enemy's face as they look shocked and then fall in the water. It's mm-hmm. the best. Um, but, I mean, I... I it's hard to beat Zero. I just really love Zero's combat. But I will agree with Dave. I'll kind of be in the middle. This was the tightest to control when it worked its best. And, like, the, sure. the brawler fighting, like, I never was not targeted on the right person, which is right. very common in the brawler stuff. And so that was great. Um, but I I will agree that, like, a lot of the spy gadget stuff when it worked was really great. But I had issues as well. Uh, but I love the the fighting. I love grabbing random items and beating people to death with them. And oh yeah, the heat actions where you like you grab a gun and you like sh- put it in someone's stomach, fire it three times, blood goes everywhere, and then the battle's over. They get up and apologize and run away. Like <laughs> yeah, it's just I, it never gets old. And there, and there are some of those that I just cringe at. There's one that Kiryu's done, I think, pretty much since zero, where it's a heat action at, at the enemy's head, where you literally just punch their teeth in on the floor, full Mm -hmm. impact. It shows the fist and then they get up and they just like, I'm sorry, and walk away. Yeah. It never gets old.
0: I was just going to ask, um, since we're on the subject of heat actions what are some <laughs> other favorites cuz the throwing someone off of a bridge or i think like in some games you can even throw them off of rooftops mm-hmm. like, oh yeah that's a classic and that's that's one of the ones that gets memed um but what are some other heat actions that you think are just very funny
1: in this game i i don't think i picked up on like an oh my god i'm so glad this is my new favorite heat action but like traditionally like i i hate to be really base with my humor here but any sort of like man's genitals colliding with telephone <laughs> pole or anything yeah, uh-huh. of that nature is usually <laughs> it's gonna work on me i agree with matt like seeing someone get looney tunes off a bridge is fantastic and those occasional heat actions that involve like an item you've picked up like, mm-hmm. like a persimmon or something. And all of a sudden, that <laughs> persimmon is like used to like clobber someone's head in, like, and send them to the orthodontist later. Um, like perfect. Um, I, I didn't like have a strong, memorable one in this game, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think there are many like brand new ones in this game, unless there are some, there might be some that are like related to the gadgets. I'm not sure. Uh, but the, the old favorites and because it's the first time I'm talking with you both about a specific Yakuza game. Uh, just figured we get some of those favorites out there. Um, there is a heat action if you're near or inside of a convenience store where you shove someone's head in a microwave and turn it on, uh, which is very funny to me. Um, not how (laughs) microwaves work, but okay. And, um, the, there are stock heat action finishers for different, types of items there's one if you're holding a baseball bat or a crowbar or something like that there's a finishing action for that type of weapon um the one that gets me is if you're holding something big like a street sign or a motorcycle um they use the same animation and the animation makes some sense if you're holding a potted plant or like (laughs) you know one of those um what do they call them like the 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 signs they stand up on the street or like a parking cone or something like that. But they use the same animation if you're holding an actual motorcycle. So that always makes me laugh because Kiryu swings a motorcycle as a weapon with the same efficiency that he does a baseball bat, which is just very, very, very funny to me, always.
2: Yeah, I think some of my favorites in this game, which I think were in other games, is like I mentioned before, like if you pick up any kind of short blade, like a knife or like, you know, any retractable blade, uh, Kiryu will shove it into the person and then knee it in further. And it just looks like it hurts like hell. Um, mm-hmm. And, what was the other one? Oh yeah, there's always like a slam the guy into the wall and then elbow the back of their head. Like mm-hmm. these are all just like real classics. I mean, I don't know that there's a bad heat action in the bunch, but I I like the one that Dave also like when you're holding a really large object, like for me the one that gets me is the sofa. Like if you're holding yeah. a sofa, <laughs> you knock them down with it and then you spin around and body slam it onto them and like <laughs> and it, it shatters. <laughs> it just shatters yeah. into pieces and it's it's just it's never not funny. Yeah. Um I hope we get some new ones. Well, I mean, so there's no heat actions in the RPGs, and there are other really cool, funny things. But I think what I missed in Yakuza: Like a Dragon the most was the heat actions because they just they're so goofy. There are Mm -hmm. other goofy things in its place, but like you can't you can't beat. And like I mean, even Dave and I have joked about how in Ishim you're walking around with a gun and a sword, and you absolutely cut a guy in half in the heat action, and then they get up and run away, and it's like, yeah
0: there's a heat action in Ishin where you stab someone in the stomach with your katana and then shoot them in the forehead with your pistol. And then they, (laughs) they get up and uh, like we said, they apologize to you. I'm so sorry, sir. I don't know what I was thinking. And then they, (laughs) they go on their way. Um, Speaking of goofy. So you both mentioned the gadgets. Let's, Let's talk about those as part of Kiryu's like assignment, like the story reason for these is like, he's on these, you know, light security detail in air quotes. And so they're like, well, we have these, gadgets to help you be more efficient with this or more covert or whatever. Um, And so you get four of these gadgets. You can use the grappling shot like they, uh, like I think it was Flora that talked about the grappling shot. You basically it's, it's Spider-Man's webs. Uh, It's it's Yakuza's version of that. Uh, Whether you're pulling a woman's underwear down from a tree or whether you're, you're tying up a, a dude and lassoing him around and slamming him into the concrete in combat, uh, there are three others though. There are exploding cigarette-like grenades that you can toss out in combat. Uh, there are drones that you can send out to kind of bother people. <laughs> and last but not least, the best one—they give Kiryu rocket shoes about halfway through the game, and you can just you can just power your way through groups of enemies with the rocket shoes and knock them away like bowling pins and. When I tell you I did entire combat encounters just with the rocket shoes, it takes like ten times as long as it would just to fight them normally. <laughs> but it was just brrr, having a great time with the rocket shoes. My favorite by far.
2: The rocket shoes are great. I think also what's great about the rocket shoes and my the thing that kills me in most brawler Yakuza games is getting caught in a corner, like there are invisible walls and geometry and if a boss especially or even a bunch of thugs catch you in those places you can kind of get beaten down really quick but not with the rocket shoes they trap you in the corner <laughs> you just throw those on and just send everyone flying i will say also uh, about in- encounters in this game i forgot to mention before so 2023 had a ton of games with instantaneous loading for different reasons spider-man when you you know you fast travel or switch between characters um when you go to different applications in final fantasy 16 but nothing blew my mind more than in this game when i rolled up on thugs and they immediately fought me there was no stutter no nothing and then when i beat them i just kept running like yeah that just blew my mind in a way that i was not prepared for um it was great as far as the gadgets go the I I like the rocket shoes. It's hard for them not to be the favorite. But I like the exploding cigarettes because they were the most absurd of them. Mm -hmm. Like that Kiryu has this unlimited supply of exploding grenade cigarettes (laughs) and that they always work and they always send folks flying. And again, then they get up at the end and apologize and walk away, even though they've got burns on them or like they have been blown up. It doesn't matter. Like, uh, fantastic
1: i believe they also can like friendly fire yourself like <laughs> yes, they backfire correct. and like will explode on you if you drop one too near to yourself or like dash your way into your own cigarette um, mm-hmm. and so there were a few occasions where i found myself more inconvenienced by like oh crap <laughs> i forgot that was a like little power that i had um i loved the rocket shoes um it took me a while to like realize how to implement them well in combat but the the go to and the and the most frequent thing i used was definitely the the spider the grappling shot.
0: Okay, so all of that being said, i rarely used the gadgets when i had to fight. When i had to fight fight, um i would start out combat encounters against groups of people with the uh rocket shoes basically until i couldn't anymore. But if it ever came to a point where i had to actually fight somebody, i always used the uh, it's called Yakuza style, which is just Kiryu's regular fighting from the other games, like the Dragon style from uh, from other games. And then there's the other stance that's the Agent style, and that's the only one where you can use the gadgets. So if you're like in a boss fight or something, or in a, there are some like wandering bosses that you fight for sub stories and stuff like that. Like if you're if you're in a real fight and you actually have to fight with what i think is the better melee combat style then you can't use the gadgets so like i would start out and just you know go bowling with the rocket shoes but if it <laughs> if it you know turned into a real fight i would have to switch to the other style and so i never used the grappling shot in combat really i use the exploding cigarettes in the arena when you have like those Fights where there's like 35 fucking people you're fighting. I would just yeah. toss those left and right, but I never used the drones ever. And you have to like spend your experience and your money to upgrade these right. things and you don't get enough to upgrade everything. So I kind of picked, I was like, all right, rocket shoes, my, my baby, the rocket shoes for sure. But then everything else was in the Yakuza style, increase my health, increase my damage, all of that stuff.
1: I'm curious how far y'all leveled up your, like, Akame ranks, um, it, because, like, that's obviously directly tied to how much you can rank up these gadgets. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that the Hornet, the drone, was incredibly useless until it had, like, three ranks up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, it sounds to me like I'm probably going to be quite a bit further into that progression cycle than either of you, given the play time. Do you, either of you remember how far up that chain you got?
0: I got pretty far but there was a point where it was like, it was it was, I got to a point where it was like, go do another set of arena fights, and I was like, okay, I'm 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 done with this. Yeah. Uh, so I definitely didn't do all of it. Okay. Yeah.
2: I mean, I definitely didn't have enough points to max everything out. I leaned more towards the Yakuza style because, like I said, I like when uh, essentially Kiryu fights like a bear, and so like yeah. I tend to lean into that. Um, but I did level up some of it, and like I did try in earnest to use the gadgets early on. When they were kind of okay against enemies without being leveled up. But yeah, once you get to like having all the equipment, which I'd say is about halfway through the game, maybe two thirds, I stopped using it as much because it just felt less effective than the other Yakuza stuff I had leveled up.
1: It definitely felt more or less effective for me as well in the sense that like one style was clearly like crowd control slash like street thug sort of context and the other one was very much like boss centric. And so. Um, I think I invested a little more into it because of those Akame missions early on, which largely yeah. like you have tiny little packs of people you're fighting. Um, but like if you upgrade the spider gadget, for example, like you get additional ropes and then like you, you get like, like it becomes progressively more useful in a way that isn't just damage. And I thought that that was really good as far as like keeping me like switching between those styles because i i kept finding that use just to like almost the way dave was using the rocket shoes like okay we're just going to do a little bit of damage clearance we're just going to like wipe the field out and pull the weeds out of the garden real quick before we actually like focus on the two or three large health bars here
0: speaking of large health bars the boss fights in the series in this all the brawler games in my opinion are interesting characters like big personalities oftentimes you do want to beat the shit out of them they often take place in really interesting like visual locations Uh, but mechanically i have never thought that this series does boss fights well like i think they're bad in most games most boss fights are bad in this series because they are a guy who can block and or counter most of your attacks. And he has nine health bars. Like that's basically boss design throughout the series, until the turn-based one, which I, I I loved a lot of the boss fights in that, even if they do last a bit too long. The changes to the combat system or like the kind of fine-tuning of the combat system in this game made the boss fights more fun for me, more manageable. And this is the first game in the entire series of all the action games that I did not switch to easy difficulty very early on uh, in the game. I did switch to easy during the final boss fight. And we'll talk about why in the non-spoiler part, why I can say why now Um, it's because they have, you have a counter against bosses. Like bosses will have a big special move. It has a big anime style wind up to it and everything. They, they glow red during it. And then you have like a timed counter attack to that. And if you pull it off, You interrupt the attack. You do a bunch of counter damage to them. It's great. Um, The final boss will just kill you in one hit if you miss that. So after failing that three times uh, and having to do phases one through five of the final boss again before that attack comes back up, I was like, all right, putting this on easy. We're finishing the game. But this is the first one where it took me that long. I don't think the boss design is better in this game than previous games. But I think the combat is better. Um, and I guess they do do less like automatic parry and block in this game than they have in in previous ones. So I guess I will retract that. They are a little bit better.
2: I think what makes the boss fights better in this game is that counter because in in the other games, you don't have a counter like that, whereas in this game, as long as you time it right, and hold the right buttons when they're doing that big wind up you can you pretty much always counter it like as mm-hmm. long as your timing is right and it's a very generous timing window like all of us have played souls games on one level or another where it's way less forgiving and so like i think that's what made them all bearable and why i also played on normal for the majority of the game which was a first for me as well um but that said yes i also agree they are not designed better there's still 18 health bars or whatever, but that's just kind of how these games are. And also since I've played most of them on on easy and have no second thought about it, I don't think that hard about the boss fights, but I would agree that these were better just at least cuz we had that counter and some other resources that made them feel less impossible
1: i have played yakuza 0 at least all the way through to credits on legend difficulty so i feel like i can speak with a little bit of like authority on like oh i can handle yakuza combat this game is so randomly tough to the point that i found it frustrating (laughs) like i couldn't actually like i died so much in the first like five hours i've never i almost never die in yakuza games I don't know if it was, like, the fact that, like, I could only bring five stamina Xs with me everywhere. Um, like, there's a very specific <laughs> inventory limitation in, in, like, arbitrary ways in the game. But um, but I dropped it to easy, like, quickly. And and I was so glad about that because I first tried, um, let's say, a late-game boss that has, like, 14 health bars. Um, like Like, whereas if I had hit that and died three times, like, it sounds like you did, Dave... I I would have been really r- resentful of of the way that that boss felt. I think so. Mm-hmm. For me, it was the right decision in this game to go easy because um it, it just made everything feel so much more fluid. And I wonder if that actually plays into why I use the gadgets so much more in combat because like they they don't do a ton of like percentage damage over a, a general health bar. They're just mm-hmm. fun. Um. Yeah, yeah. So so I think that maybe my willingness to be a little more frivolous and like to have fun with the combat encounters, um, is because I, I dropped it much earlier than it sounds like either of you did.
0: Yeah. Part of the power fantasy for these games too, is that you're playing as Kiryu, the most legendary fist fighter in the history of humans, basically. Like yeah. he's never been defeated in single combat. Like he, everyone knows who he is. People still challenge him because they're idiots, but like, that is part of the fantasy is you're this dude who can be- beat up anybody with your bare hands uh, or any number of people with your bare hands. There's some <laughs> famous scenes throughout the series where it's like Kiryu versus 200 street thugs and he-, he beats all of them. So that's also part of why I play these on easy because I think it it doesn't make sense for these games to be super difficult. I just didn't struggle with the combat that much in this game until that final boss where it's like, I agree that that counter move that you get is pretty generous timing, but if you have to execute eight of them in a boss fight and yeah. if you miss one, you instantly die. Then I'm like, well, that that's shitty. And yeah. I, uh, yeah. Bumped it down so I could see the ending and, um, yeah, that was worth it. I think uh, this is a good time to transition into our final thoughts about Like a Dragon and the man who erased his name, and um, then get into the spoiler section. Uh, not that this wasn't unforeseen, but we are going for a while here. So, in this section, we just kind of give some wrap-up thoughts. Uh, we have also decided to give our uh, Yakuza slash Like a Dragon series rankings just real quick, just for funsies. And then uh, answer the question, who would you recommend uh, this game to? So let's let's start with that question. Who would you recommend this game to? Matt, I'll kick to you first. To what person would you recommend Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name?
2: I mean, I would recommend uh, Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name uh, to any <laughs> fan of the franchise. I mean, if you've spent any amount of time with Kiryu, I think this will be rewarding. I think the only person I wouldn't initially recommend it to is like i said earlier to someone who's never played a yakuza game uh i think i don't think it would be misplaced to play it i think you'd probably still have a good time but i feel like to really feel the impact of this game you need some even i think even people who've just played yakuza like a dragon would enjoy this game and feel its impact more because you get a lot of curious backstory just in the parallel of that game i think as long as you've played a yakuza Who's a game and really enjoyed it? You you should play this game. If you're someone who just likes em ups and brawlers and don't care about the story, I mean, I don't know why you would come to this game, but you would definitely enjoy it mechanically. Like, there's definitely stuff to play here. um Yeah, I think that's kind of the broad way I would recommend the game.
1: I think I agree with what Matt just said in the sense that like a dragon is the one hook that I think gets immediately enriched by this experience, or like can find that that connection and that like mutual sort of reinforcement but when it comes to like the other alternative of the type of yakuza fan who would get something out of this game you're asking them to play seven games right yeah and Uh and that's (laughs) i don't think that's reasonable or fair so like this is a game in my opinion that is for someone who doesn't want to do the work of yakuza 0 through 6 Mm. but wants to know who that kiryu guy was when they tried like a dragon and i think that with that in mind okay sure this could be a great like previously on but playable um i part of me like we said earlier in the episode thinks you can get away with playing this cold turkey like or cold not cold turkey but just rather out of nowhere um (laughs) and like i i wouldn't recommend that as the path I, i especially since this is not in the top half of my favorite yakuza games um but i do think that there is it as we said earlier, it stands alone on its own by the end. And I think as a self-contained experience, I can definitely see someone playing this and deciding, huh, I wonder what that whole XYZ was about in this game. Let me go back and play some of those earlier titles. So, So if this is a hook for somebody, great. I just worry that it might not be. Yeah,
0: I agree with everything you both just said. <laughs> I don't really have a lot to add to that. Obviously, if you're a longtime fan of the series, and if you are wondering, like, did this game need to exist? Do I need to play it? I, I do think that it will add something for you, and it's not a 60-hour time ask like some of the other games in the series are. There is one other special person who I'd like to recommend this to, a special type of person, and um, it was uh, this was inspired by Adam, aka Desbo, who's one of uh, a friend yeah. of mine, former guest on the show, Discord member, um, Adam doesn't care about the story in these games, but Adam likes beating the shit out of people in fun and interesting ways. And Yakuza games are perfect for that. So if you want to just jump into one that feels good to, like we said, toss a dude off a bridge into uh, the river in Osaka and um, maybe stick someone's head in a microwave, this you'll have fun with this. Like that stuff is fun. Um, It's kinetic. It's entertaining. It's goofy. Uh, Even if you don't like the story, I think this might be one of the better ones to just play to to beat the shit out of people because it's fifteen hours long, you know, and um, that's how Kiryu solves all of his problems anyway, is by beating the shit out of people. So, sure. well, that not just Kiryu, that's how problems are solved in this universe, is by taking your shirts off and fighting on a rooftop, basically. Correct correct so
1: (laughs) i think that's real life too if we're really going to get philosophical about it yeah Yeah, i
0: I think we can try and dress real life up and society up all we want but that's what it really boils down to doesn't it (laughs) um yeah so shout out to adam uh for our conversations in the discord and reminding me uh, of that so um real quick let's do quick yakuza series rankings uh flora we'll kick to you first this
1: time so, my list is probably going to be the longest one here, if I had to guess, because I've played, like, every Yakuza game that exists, except for finishing Kinzon, uh, because okay. it hasn't been localized yet, but I played it with an English translation, like, like a full-on, like, game facts sort of form uh-huh. for enough hours <laughs> to have an opinion about it, because I'm, I'm that into the Yakuza games. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I put, like, on the same, like, S tier sort of plane, Yakuza Zero, Yakuza Like a Dragon, and lost judgment. I think those are all sort of like right in the same like word cloud for me. Sick. Um, underneath that, Yakuza six, Yakuza Kiwami and two. And it seems like I'm a bit of an Ishin liker here compared to the two of y'all. Um, I really clicked with it, but th- my first time playing it was the version that came out in 2023. Um, mm. I haven't ranked it, but that's where my gut tells me it belongs is in that little cluster. Um, I, I sort of have, m- like okay feelings these goods are, the, sorry these games are good but maybe not like made me cry degrees of memorable yakuza 5 4 um and then like a dragon gaiden fits in that little wheelhouse for me that like the sort of b tier maybe even c tier uh and then finally just underneath that like the games that i'm probably never going to want to replay are judgment yakuza 3 and yakuza dead souls which was funny to play but like there's literally no reason for me to go back. So, yeah. Um, just to recap, Yakuza yeah, Zero, Like a Dragon, and Lost Judgment are my are my pentacles in this series.
2: And Matt. Um. So I think this list we'd gone over in the ep- the self indulgent episode where I made us talk about Yakuza, but <laughs> yes. I have now inserted guided into this, and it's very interesting. I feel like everyone's number one on some level are either Like a Dragon or Zero, like that yeah. is agreed across the the board. And so for me, I have a distinct ranking of all of them. It starts with Yakuza 0, obviously, with Like a Dragon right behind it. Six is my third favorite because Mm. the story impact and how it wraps up Kiryu's story meant a lot to me. And then I have four because it introduced one of the other best characters ever in the franchise, Akiyama. then right under that is Like a Dragon Gaiden. Like, it really left its mark on me. And then below that is Ishin, Because... Mostly, I enjoyed it. The story I thought was great, but like the sub-stories were not. Then Kiwami 2, and then Yakuza 3. Yakuza 3 is not my least favorite only because, A, it made me cry, and B, I really love the story in that one, even though the gameplay is not great. Uh, It hasn't aged well, at least. Then Yakuza 5, and then I really don't like Kiwami 1. I just think Kiwami 1 is the worst of the franchise. And again, none of them are bad. But like I just considering how great zero and two are, it just makes Kiwami one just feel worse and worse to me. So that's my ranking.
0: All right. And my ranking and preface this. And I think that you two would both echo this to some degree that like my least favorite Yakuza game is still a game that I enjoyed playing. Yes. You know, correct. like I I always, you know, if this comes up in conversation, I always shout out this series as being like very, very consistently good and there are so many games in the series that it's pretty remarkable. Like, what other game series that has over 10 entries can you say all of them are good? I can't really think of one. Yeah. Uh, so my uh, my top is Yakuza 0. It's all alone at the top for me. Uh, maybe because it's the first one, but I also think it's really fucking good. The next tier is Like a Dragon and Kiwami 2. I like equally. Uh, I, I seem to like Kiwami 2 more than most people but uh 2 has a love story in it, and I really, really liked that. Um Gaiden is after that. Um, and then five, I really like Yakuza Five. I like the Haruka parts in Yakuza 5.
1: I yes. were- They're great. <laughs> I mean they're the best Dance. part.
0: And I like the baseball player too. Uh he was, that was a I like baseball and Japanese baseball's fun. So yeah. Yakuza five, then Yakuza Kuami, then Yakuza Four, then Ishin. Um Ishin was fun as, like, a little trip. Uh, I described it in the episode as, like, watch my friends put on a play, and that was yeah. kind of fun. Um, <laughs> wasn't in love with it, though. Yakuza 3, after that, Yakuza 3 is not last because you could see Dad Kiryu, Kiryu in Dad mode in that game, <laughs> which I really loved. Uh, and then 6 is my least favorite. I just, like, I, I like I like the story when I, like, sit back from it, but when I played it, I was like, eh, I not a, not really a fan of it so those are my rankings and i think if we were to deliberate the rankings we would spend a lot more time <laughs> so let us move into the housekeeping before getting into spoilers uh first things first wonderful podcasts and our uh, writing between the two of you so matt has too many fucking podcasts so true.
2: flora it's <laughs> a fact about me that is absolutely true
0: yeah it's true flora, Um, Talk about Left Behind Game Club and talk about Epilogue Gaming.
1: Uh, Thank you, gladly. So I'm a part of uh, Epilogue Gaming, which is uh, a website and a community that does Twitch streaming podcasts, all sorts of things in between. But primarily I write articles that go into sort of like criticism about video games of all sorts, but primarily video games that are focused on their storytelling their narrative and their art style and so a lot of what i cover includes like i have a full breakdown of every single yakuza game that i just mentioned in that ranking of mine Mm -hmm. Uh, i would encourage you all to go read any of those if you want to like take a little preview that's relatively spoiler free before picking up your next yakuza game um and then on top of that i'm a part of the podcast left behind game club where we sort of treat video games like a book club, and we go around having roundtable discussions about our experiences playing them. Uh, And both of you have been a part of that show. So um, I don't have the episodes to plug at the top here, but maybe I can shoot those links and put them in the show notes for later.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, You can find me on Left Behind Game Club on the two-part Final Fantasy 16 series. Uh, That was a good time. I, I think despite kind of dunking on that game a lot throughout those episodes, we had some positive things to say too, of course. But I think there was a lot of really good conversation in those episodes. Um, So go check those out. Also on that podcast is Jacob McCourt, who guested on Tales from the Backlog about uh, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, one of my favorite games. Uh, Good, good time there. And then um, plans for other hosts on the show to come on the podcast uh, later on. So um, I, I really recommend that. I really recommend also checking out the writing over on uh, Epilogue Gaming, I really enjoyed reading the story, uh, the uh, article that you wrote about uh, Like a Dragon Ishin* because the scene that you wrote about in that article was my favorite scene of that game as well, uh, for a lot of reasons. So um, yeah, go, go check that stuff out. Writing, podcast, Flora does wonderful stuff. Also doing wonderful stuff is Matt. So Matt, like I said at the top, host of many podcasts uh, fun and games screen snark and reignite so tell people about those and uh, you've also started to do a little bit more writing of yourself
2: i have Um, i will plug because i do remember all the episodes i've done i was on the the first last of us episode on left behind game club i also guested on the spoiler part of the yakuza zero episode with you and katie which was a blast and then i most recently guested on our Coffee Talk episode, the Coffee Talk episode of Left Behind Game Club, which was a delight. Um, yes, I host too many podcasts. Some may say I'm crazy and I would be inclined to agree. But <laughs> the very brief pitch on all of those podcasts is Screen Snark is a TV and movie pod. Both of you have been guests. Uh mm-hmm. It wasn't for about half of this year during the strike in Solidarity. But we're back to covering TV and movies. The first half of the show is – Uh, Both hosts and a guest talk about the most recent thing they've watched. And then we – the back half is an interview uh, portion. It's always a good time, mostly an excuse to make fart jokes and funny noises with our mouths. Uh, Reignite is a Bioware retrospective podcast. We did all four Mass Effect games. Uh, and then we are now moving on to the Dragon Age franchise and currently in Dragon Age Origins as of when we're recording, but not by the time you hear this. We are working our way through Dragon Age o- Origins Awakening, the largest DLC I think I've ever played for a video game. Uh, And that's been a really good time. And then, of course, the video game podcast I do that probably broadly a lot of your audience would be interested in is Fun and Games, which you've also been guests. Both have been guests on main show episodes. Flora joined us for our very recent, as of when recording, PS2 re- retrospective. And then yeah. uh, Dave joined us for our emergent gameplay uh, conversation and that both of those episodes are incredible great places to start and then you've both done side quests Dave has done too many meant to mention at this point it's just the <laughs> list gets longer every four to six months Dave's like I got another one and then uh-huh. so on Um but that show the main show is broadly a topic-based conversational podcast that me and Jeff Moonen do where uh, we talk to devs Voice actors, we do retrospectives about franchises and consoles. We talk about the state of the games industry. We always try and put a positive spin on it, though. While there's, of course, terrible things worth talking about, we want to embrace the positivity of the gaming community, which doesn't always seem to be there. Uh, and that specific point inspired side quests, which is a sub series that runs three times every two weeks, uh, where different hosts every episode talks about a game they love and why they love it. No judgment, no back talk, no guidance. They get just to talk into a microphone about why they love a thing. And it's been one of my favorite projects to work on because it's convinced me to play so many games I would have not thought twice about. And that's kind of my favorite part about it. Uh, on top of that, you know, I, uh, I Twitch stream sometimes. I've been a DJ for a long time. And then as Dave mentioned, the Patreon for fun and games, which is mostly where we uh, live these days as social media is constantly on fire. Uh, I've been writing articles that are free on the Patreon. If you subscribe to the Patreon at the free tier, you get – or even if you don't subscribe at all, you get access to these. I've been writing some really fun articles. My first foray back to writing articles, Flora helped co-edit, which I was very grateful for as I am – getting better but still think my writing does uh need improvement uh but i'm working my way through it and did a really great article where i actually showered a ton of praise on dave for helping me realize that even cowards can like horror games uh (laughs) and uh i have now become a horror sicko as we like to say in the tales from the backlog uh discord and have played a ton of them uh, last year and wrote an article about how i learned to find my love for horror games even as a coward and so all worth checking out that's at uh patreon.com slash games pod uh yeah that's probably everything and if not just go to djstormageddon.com there you go really yeah tied it up nice and simple
0: nice nice work it's almost like you've done this
2: before <laughs> oh my god <laughs>
0: Yeah. The, uh, the side quest series is a lot of fun. Uh, I do have more by the way. It's just like whenever you feel like the well's running dry, just hit me up. I got several <laughs> ideas for them. Um, I did one about disco Elysium. The most recent yes. one was rain world, uh, which was a game I finished. And as soon as I finished it, I was like, I'm not recording tales from the backlog for like another month. I gotta get this out. Matt has anyone done rain world <laughs> for side quests? Uh, so Other ones that I've done there, too. Uh, Always a good time. Love, Jeff, co-host on Fun and Games. Love, Rachel, co-host on Screen Snark. Um, I will listen to Reignite when I start playing a Bioware game, but I have (laughs) not yet. Um, Yeah, lovely people on all of those podcasts. Good discussions, as always. Uh, Highly recommended. And um, the way I was introduced to Flora was on an episode of SideQuest that she did. So I forget the game, but I remember listening to it and be like, this person has good opinions. I should... I should invite her.
1: Oh yeah. If found, right? Yes, that would it have was been the if found.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So That's wonderful. Yeah. Lots of good stuff out there um between the three of us. <laughs> more podcasts, more writing than anyone has time for. Uh, but it's all quality stuff. Uh for this show, if you want to support it's the same calls to action as always. You can leave a rating and review. Um, at the time of recording, Christmas is almost here. Uh, if you did not get me a Christmas present, you can rectify that by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or podcast addict. And while you're listening to the spoiler break music, you can go ahead and do the same for all the podcasts that Matt and Flora just talked about as well. Um, you can join the discord server and join the discussion about the Yakuza series this week, as well as all sorts of other gaming, pop culture, life-related topics. We have a wonderful community in there. I'm very proud of the community that uh, we've cultivated and that we we maintain. It's my favorite place to hang out online. And if you want to support monetarily, you can do that at patreon.com slash real Dave Jackson. You can vote in polls for what games I do on the show. You get bonus episodes. Uh, higher tiers have a bonus retro gaming show where I torture myself by playing old retro games. Most of them are fine. Most of them yeah that's it we're gonna listen to some music and when we come back it's full spoiler time for like a dragon gaiden the man who erased his name right, I am back with Matt and Flora, and it's time for full spoilers for Like a Dragon Gaiden, the man who erased his name. I don't think I've missed one yet. I think my commitment to the bit is still 100% complete. I also, just real quick before we start this, we are going to spoil part of the ending of Yakuza Like a Dragon. Um, We're going to spoil a big scene from that game. And just general Yakuza series spoilers, I think, are fair game here. I can't think of anything like we're not going to spoil the end of Yakuza zero because that doesn't matter in this game, but like, right. I don't want to really like tiptoe around the end of Yakuza six or the end of Yakuza, like a dragon or something like that. Cause they, they tied directly into this story and we got to talk about this story and everything in it. So uh, before we get to those more, we'll call them sensitive things. Let's uh, let's talk about some notable sub stories. Uh, or akame missions in this game uh, as it were i have a couple that i wrote down um but before i talk you know my stuff i'll kick to either of you were there any of these sub stories that you felt were memorable in any way that sounded bad i mean like (laughs) (laughs) memorable funny or emotional or any anything like that
2: Yeah, so there are two that you don't have here that were memorable to me that unfortunately I won't remember the character names, but I remember the moments. There's one that I think dates all the way back to zero, maybe, uh, with this older woman who, like, you first encounter her and she jumps you and, like, is pinned you to the floor. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And claims that you're her lover. And then in this... Game turns up again with a fresh head of purple hair love it and Uh like is pulling the same nonsense while also screwing up some spy mission you're on and it like you would think you'd be annoyed by her constantly messing with you but honestly it gets better and better and then ends with her actually helping you out of a bind which was my favorite part so it was just absolutely charming uh And then the other one is you agree to help this person with like this apartment that they're working in that's supposedly haunted, yeah, uh, and like by people who died there. And the longer you're there, you then find out that actually he's the murderer who's been killing them and then tries to kill you and you actually defeat him. You beat him up and then like a supernatural kind of creepy thing happens, like hinting that there was actually a ghost, which they've not really touched on here in this franchise besides Dead Souls. So like – that was really fun one, um, also because it's the classic like young college student guy, kind of pathetic, pitiful, turns out to be a, a serial murderer. It was just kind of like a wild thing. Uh, so those are the two favorites that come to mind besides the ones that we're going to talk about that you brought.
0: Yeah, like in the ghost one, um, at the end, first of all, any sub story where someone just thinks that Kiryu is this old man that they can just <laughs> yeah. beat the shit out of. Like, yeah. well, he's canonically like 40, 40 years old
2: or something like he's that. He's my age. He's yeah. my age. And like, everyone calls him old man.
0: Yeah. And everyone's like, ah, you're you're just such an old piece of shit. Like, I can take you easily. <laughs> uh, so the, he beats the shit out of them. And then, yeah, at the end, the ghost writes like in lipstick or something or blood on the mirror, thank you, after yeah. that's all over. So I was like, what? but eh, that's Yakuza. That old lady that pins you on the ground, she was my cabaret club superstar in Kiwami 2, nice. uh, which is why I remember her.
1: It sounds like you're evoking the Obitarian. I don't actually think I did this sub story, but when you were yes. describing it, like yeah. I'm completely brought to that point.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Flora, did you have any that stuck out to you before I get into the three that I wrote down here?
1: The only one that I would really want to, to speak about is what's on your list, which is the Kaito related, uh, um, okay, sub story. Yeah. And, and I think one of the reasons that stuck out to me is because I've played the lost judgment DLC, which is like Kaito files, I believe is what it's called. And mm-hmm. so in addition to the main games, the judgment games that like walk you through and introduce you to this character who, for all intents and purposes, I, I really do already love. Um, the DLC is like kind of a dedicated, like, Uh, almost like a fan fiction for this character and then to see the links start happening in this game where like these characters don't yet know each other but like the dramatic irony of it all is that we do. Uh, mm-hmm. i I thought that that was super charming in a way that wasn't purely fan service um like I think with something like this sub story, you can imagine that the fan service thing would make you roll your eyes, but for me, it was the genuine giddy excitement to see these characters like and and their little like seeds of their future relationship being sown mm-hmm. um so so that's the only clearly distinct one. I think I messaged you both like all caps, like wait, what. Kaido. And um so so that was that was a fantastic delight.
0: Okay, just real quick, do you think they're going to merge these two universes together? Like yes. you think this is pointing that way or does oh, Lost Judgment point that way?
1: Well, uh, it- this canonically does link it right and there are a couple characters in lost judgment and uh yakuza like a dragon i don't want to spoil anything but like you will see a character cooking something in a kitchen with their back turned and you will barely very clearly know oh I, that was one of my party members in this game. And mm. um, and those links have been there for at least a game or two. And if we're going to go all the way back to your elevator pitch and say a 6.5, I, I think you've answered your own question to some extent. Like, okay. yes. Fair enough. I don't know what the significance of that is because I think what ryo gagatoku made very clear is they're going to divide this up into like we're no longer doing brawler focused games we're doing this turn-based thing now and yet immediately the games they've released since saying that publicly have all been the brawler types yeah (laughs) and so i don't know what to make of that element of your question like like what is the future of the series in terms of what you're doing as a video game because i i really was enamored with like a dragon the turn-based thing i thought that was one of the coolest things they could have done for the series at the same time i would be lamenting uh the loss of the brawler combat that i've grown to know and love over several games so i kind of thought judgment was going to split off in one section and be the brawler version of this and like a dragon as we're calling it now would be the turn-based version of this but i feel like this is like an clear like middle finger to that assumption in a way that Mm -hmm. i can't quite resolve at this point in time so that's my speculation
0: makes sense um whatever direction they want to go i'm sure it's going to be entertaining um we this was the person i was talking about in the non-spoiler part when i mentioned the the shirt that you'll never forget i played five hours of judgment like three years ago at least And I recognize the shirt as soon as he was on screen. I was like, that's that big motherfucker from judgment. I, I know that guy. Um, so they have, they have like a little friendly rivalry. I just wrote this down because they're going around interviewing, um, homeless people looking for gorillas is like their detective lead or whatever. And the homeless person, uh, I put the screenshot in the notes here, uh, he says, listen, I've been around the block a time or two, and I'll tell you something. You two are the most gorilla ass motherfuckers I've ever seen. And as soon as I saw that, I laughed and screenshotted it. The localizing again is fantastic, but good to see fun to see those two characters that you know. Uh, the other two sub stories that I wrote down, uh, one of them is like a greatest hits uh, type sub story is the Ryuji Goda impostors. Uh Goda was the antagonist in Kuami 2 and they just bring back people that look like him um, that are trying to use his name and, and stature for their own uh, gain and I thought it was kind of a greatest hits type thing because Kiryu is angry at them for not respecting his legacy which was weird to me because Godo was not a good person in that yeah. game he was terrible um, but Kiryu and the other people that he fights have this very like anime ass like mutual respect for other strong people you know yeah. and i think that that that's why he remembers that fondly uh, even though goda was like endangering the woman that he loved in that story so mm-hmm. there was that one and then there was a a sub story about an orphanage scam mm-hmm. um that was just a little bit of like kiryu reflecting on how he was brought up like his father figure ran the orphanage that he was brought up in. His father figure was a Yakuza crime boss. So like they do kind of like talk about how Kiryu never really stood a chance to lead a normal life as he was raised by the Yakuza. And they do kind of talk about that in that sub story. And there's a nice little resolution where Kiryu talks about how you can't choose who raises you, whether it's, you know, growing up in the crime family or anyone really, um, but you can choose who you follow uh, basically. So I thought that was nice A nice. The, what you're doing in the quest is you just beat the shit out of a bunch of people several times, but the content, the story content was quite good. I thought.
2: Yeah. Those three were the other, I mean, yeah, the, the Kaito quest, I love just because you're looking for someone who matches the description of yourself, pretty much. And you keep getting <laughs> led in circles. Um, but yeah, these, these were some of my favorite as well. The, the Orphanage, like the Orphanage scam artist one really kind of like took my breath away in the fact that it's the first time I think in the game where Kiryu really gets introspective like that. And then it just keeps happening with other missions. And like that was kind of really cool. Like often even like looking up to the sky like talking to those who have passed and like that I just I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff it's cheesy but it was, it was really effective
0: i think part of it too is like the this game has like a tone of like kiryu is somewhat defeated by the situation that he's in like i think yeah. he understands that he's in a very unwinnable situation here like he can't just punch his way through this because anytime he gets that idea, the the kids at the orphanage are dangled in front of him again to kind of keep him in line. So, I think there's a there are more scenes in here where Kiryu does get introspective. Um, he seems like pretty depressed for yeah. several parts of the game, which is not something you could have said about him in other stories. So, like this uh, sub story about the orphanage scam was not. It wasn't that, but like Kiryu already had this kind of mood about him for a lot of the story, starting pretty yeah. early on. Uh, so I think stories like this where he introspects fit uh, more so than in like Yakuza Kiwami 1 or something like that.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And I feel like this game with Kiryu and the way that we like see him portrayed, the thing that's distinctively different to me is that Kamarocho or whatever the setting of the game has been previously. kiryu's solution is to punch down the wall that is in between him and what he needs to do like whatever's urgently calling him but here we see him like pacing around inside the barrier of a cage in a way that we kind of don't in the other games Mm -hmm. um there's always been that closed open world thing that we talked about earlier in the episode but i think in this game i felt it a lot more not in terms of like oh you put an invisible wall up but like in terms of the storytelling, there was an invisible wallop in a way for this character that I don't really feel like we've had to grapple with in previous games.
0: Yeah, you you got the feeling in a lot of the other stories that if Kiryu felt like the need to leave Kamurocho and just go hang out in the mountains for a week and then come back like he he could have, but he he does feel kind of trapped in Osaka in this story.
1: Yeah, like an animal in captivity almost. Like yeah. like where you you see that their environment is is maybe not completely unhealthy but still not the best and most supportive for them and like like right. you, we all know where Kiryu would rather be right now and what he would rather be doing and he's yeah. unable to do that so he's like helpless and seeing this strong character in like a pitiful state like that is I think just like vicariously really like empathy building. So.
0: Yeah. And I I think um so throughout the story there's the guy Hanawa who did him a favor by, like, setting up this, you know, faking his own death and setting up this kind of witness protection system. But Hanawa also blackmails him and, you know, is is generally, like, not a great person to him. Like, he, he very much wields the power that he has over Kiryu. But throughout the story, Hanawa finds himself in danger several times, and Kiryu goes to as much lengths as he can to save him. And I think... That this is Kiryu like latching on to the only person that he can get close to uh, other than Akame, which he he does kind of latch on to her as well. But um, th- this was like when I was playing this, I was like, this guy's a piece of shit. Like he's basically blackmailing you to do dirty work for his organization. Be- why? So why is Kiryu like endangering himself, endangering his, uh, you know, secret identity and all of that to try and save this guy? and i think it is just him latching onto any sort of human connection cuz he is like you said that animal in captivity
1: i don't know if either of you felt this way but it it almost reminds me of the sagawa relationship with majima and yakuza 0 to some extent I um i much less sadistic um and manipulative in that nature but like in the way that there's sort of an implicit bond between those characters that by the end of that game uh it it somehow they're able to like for, like move on in yeah. some perceivably <laughs> healthy way yeah. um i i felt some kind of analogy going on here with
2: those characters i mean yeah. also Kiryu's one skill is making people like him even people who hate him right like begrudging respect to absolutely adoring i mean like look at majima right someone who could be considered a villain for a good part of the series by the later games is like he considers kiryu his best friend even though kiryu's like you're crazy get away from me so like I think that that's that effect here with Hanawa. And also I think, you know, a lot of these games show that these terrible people do have some good in them. And if you can bring it out, you might find that they're actually genuinely good people. It happens with Daigo. It happens with Taiga. it happens with pretty much every main Yakuza character. So like, I think that this game is just giving us another, another one of those, but from, some private corporation instead of the Yakuza, but is basically the same thing.
1: It wouldn't be a Yakuza discussion if Daigo didn't come up at some point. I mean, so I'm right. glad. Yeah. I'm
2: bingo. Yeah. <laughs> the other kind of
0: part of this is um, his relationship with Akame. She's the person he spends the most time with. And I started out thinking she was just going to be like a short term quest giver, I didn't know she was going to be a big part of the story. Um, And then I expected her to become kind of like the woman in Kiwami 2, kind of like Haruka is used in some of the games where uh, she would almost be like a damsel in distress and a love interest and stuff like that. And uh, that's not really how it it plays out with Akame. Uh, Like she's in danger because of the stuff that Kiryu is doing. But I don't know, I, I... I thought that she was going to die at some point. I thought there was going to be a romance between the two of them. And like, you can go out and drink with her and sing karaoke with her. Um, some of the conversations they have together when they're out at the bar are uh, really good. But, um, the story between them did not follow like those predictable beats that I thought they would. Uh, and I appreciated that. And she comes and kicks some ass later on in the story too. Uh, so Really interesting with her too. So you have like these two characters that Kiryu can latch onto. Literally the only two people that spend any time with him. Just a really interesting setup in this game. I I like this like more desperate uh, type of social situation. We'll say.
2: Yeah, I, and I like that a gets to be her own character and is not wrapped up in romance or anything else. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Yakuza is not always great with female characters for sure, but. I feel like in the last few games, especially, they've been much better. I like the pro sex worker stance in Yakuza Seven was really great, Um, because of how of uh, the soapland that uh, Ichiban grew up in, and like all of that stuff. And like what I like about A- A- Akame here is that like she is that like kind of plucky sidekick that could be one note. She's always happy. She's got that p- positive tone in her voice, but she actually has. Are you? Are you? <laughs> but still has so much depth. And like, I really liked that. While I didn't always love her missions, I thought she was a very interesting character who was, who like, especially those conversations you have at the bar, like, there's so much to her and she, like, the, the voice actress does such a great job of endearing you to her character for sure.
1: It took me until the segment where Akame like opens up about like how she developed a relationship with like unhoused people and formed Mm -hmm. this network in the first place. Like it took me like a surprisingly long amount of time in her story to like start caring about her because I think I was sort of also cynically expecting something that was similar to what Dave is alluding to about like this is going to eventually hit these beats and I'm going to roll my eyes uh, about the portrayal of women. And uh, I I also was like, rather okay with how Akame's character fits into everything. I I didn't really feel like this character was simply a plot device or a placeholder in the way that like so many women in the series have been.
0: Yeah. And like I said, um, I thought she was going to die. And the reason I thought she was going to die is number one, Kiryu can't have nice things. True. And number two, by the time I got maybe like halfway, 75% of the way through the story, And it became clear that Kiryu and Akame were getting closer, Um, not romantic, but just closer together. I started to see those little burblings up through my muted words on Twitter of like, oh my God, the ending of this game fucked me up. And so I was like, okay, Akame is dead. 100%. If they're going to kill any character in the story, it's going to be her. Because again, Kiryu can't have nice things. Uh, But that's not how it goes. And uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I think part of the thing with Kiryu too that I thought was uh like nice interesting characterization and um kind of sets up where the story is headed um I think way earlier in the episode hours ago <laughs> I think Flora <laughs> said something you said something to the effect of like to what end are they doing all of
1: this with Kiryu yeah, like um, uh, like the characterization I think it was something, yeah like like evolving into what Right. From where he was at the end of six.
0: Something he says in here, uh, it's during a conversation. I think he's talking to Hanawa. Um, He's talking about the woman he used to love. And he he says that he is thinking about his death. Um, He says that he wants to go to Hawaii and bury her ring. And then he wants to leave Japan before he dies. And like this is levels of like thinking about the future that Kiryu has never really shown before. Um, It's always really immediate um, solving the problem in front of him by punching through a wall uh, or trying to protect the people that are in danger because of him. Um, But he's thinking about his mortality here. And I think that part of his situation makes him think about that stuff in a way that maybe he didn't have to before, but I think that's what this is leading toward. Uh, This is what's on his mind I think that's what this is leading toward.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think also like that's the big thing, right? Like we all as adults know we're adults when we start thinking and planning for the future because this, you know, part of childhood is not worrying about that stuff being very much in the moment. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of adults who are in the moment and don't know their ass from their elbow. But most well-adjusted adults are trying to plan for what's coming. And Kiryu was never that well-adjusted adult until – I'd say the fifth and sixth games, when he was thinking of... I mean, pretty much from the third game on, he's thinking of others, and as that character grows, but like for sure in this game, like that line where he's talking about burying the ring, like, oh, not only is he thinking about his future, he is already assuming that he is going to die soon because he sees how his life is going, and that's just not a thing he ever did. Even in the situations where he'd rather die than let someone else get hurt, there was no... And if I die here, here's what happened. In those moments in the previous games, it was always, I'll die here doing what's right and nothing else matters. And he's not mm-hmm. thinking like that anymore. And this game really highlights that.
0: Yeah, it's it's that's part of the reason why one of the big things I mentioned early, very early on in the episode that I love about this game is a, a different look at Kiryu's character um, than we usually get. And I think that they pulled all this stuff off really well. And like from a writing perspective, and of course from a voice acting perspective, uh, done really well. Um, this is going to be a big, jarring, tonal shift here. But there's one fun thing before we talk about like a couple of big things that happen in the story. One super memorable moment in the arena that I don't feel like I could not mention and be happy about it. So um, I think this is a main story quest. It's very early in the arena. It's when they are reenacting like famous moments throughout the series in the arena. It's part of what gave me like this clip show type vibe from the story. And they reenact, uh, Nishiki's mob versus Kiryu from Yakuza Kiwami from the end, the one where he fights a million people in front of the, uh, millennium tower. There's, (laughs) there's a guy, first of all, there's a guy, you fight a guy dressed like Kiryu and he, he gives this, uh, this line where he says, like, come and get me or something like that. And Kiryu's like, I do not sound like that. And <laughs> that, that was gag, very
2: funny. That gag is always funny in any game. Yeah.
0: And then they do a reenactment of uh, the end of Kuami 2. And you fight someone who looks like Ryuji Goda. But there's also two tigers. And um, <laughs> fighting the tigers has become something that happens in most of the games at this point. <laughs> yeah. But it never gets old. No, it always comes at an unexpected time, and it's like, oh shit, okay, it's tiger time.
2: Um, (laughs) yeah,
0: in uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon, you fight the tigers like inside of a burning bathhouse. Like, why are there tigers in there in the first place? You know,
1: yeah, why aren't there in other games?
0: Yeah, what is wrong with the rest of the video game industry? Why am I not fist fighting tigers in Dark Souls? I suppose you
2: can. I mean, in the preview (laughs) images of Infinite Wealth, we know that you fight. It looks like a giant ass shark. So like, oh, yeah. clearly, <laughs> so like, clearly, they are not letting that go. We're still gonna fight some wild animals in that game. Too. Yeah,
0: hell yeah. That that scene with the tigers, I even wrote down. It ends like the ending cutscene of that is you pick up the ryuji in, like impersonator and swing him around like a weapon and, and knock, knock the out. two tigers unconscious. Yeah, uh, because this is yakuza and that's the kind of ways that you solve your problems. It's true. <laughs> let's uh let's talk about these two big story things one of them i think is like fuck yeah awesome and then we'll talk about the ending in yakuza like a dragon when kiryu makes his entrance if you remember that scene and i had to go back and watch it again on youtube uh, but in that scene um, you're you're doing it from ichiban and party's perspective in that game and this dude takes a knife. He's going to run up and stab the Yakuza boss. Who's just given the speech that he's dissolving the clan. It's a big thing. And somebody in that scene, you don't see who it is. Just punches the fuck out of this guy from off camera. And I, when I played that game, I squealed. Cause I knew yeah. it was Kiryu. Like, yeah. of course. And then now you get to do this scene from Kiryu's perspective and it's so fucking cool. It's yeah, awesome. It they pulled it off perfectly
2: yeah, this whole scene where you get to do the same I love when games like games in a series do something like this where you get to see something right. from a different perspective. And like I was worried that like oh they're going to give it give up the ghost and like it's not going to be as fun from the side, but it absolutely is. And like it, it just Kiryu constantly gets to be a badass and every time it happens, like you'd think you'd be tired of it by now after however many games, but no. I am a simple person who loves to watch Kiryu <laughs> punch folks to death. And like, it's just, it's such a cool moment. Uh, it, I loved it. Yeah, it was really cool to see this happen from the other side. I don't want to over
1: dramatize this, but I can't escape the connection because I just happen to be on the same podcast where we talked about the last of us part two, but like that's a game where you get a mirror reversal of a scene uh, uh-huh. it, at two various moments throughout the story, and like that that's the immediate reference point that I have here where like, oh my goodness, I get the other perspective, the other half of this puzzle piece, and like it enriches the experience in a way that. I don't know that I needed it and I probably would have been completely fine moving through this game without it but for me like that was fan service that served a purpose and worked like like yeah. it was well delivered it wasn't just oh big room of 40 people to fight it like the scene felt more impactful seeing the other side of it
0: So put yourself in the shoes of somebody who played Yakuza 6 and then thought Kiryu was gone forever like I did, yeah. and then played Yakuza Like a Dragon, and Kiryu shows up during this brawl, but you don't know why he's there. They don't really talk about it throughout the rest of that because you have this burgeoning like mentor-mentee type of thing between him and Ichiban that takes like the focus. For good reason. It's great. But now you get to see why he was there. And I think like the point of this game is to show you why Kiryu came back. Yeah why he's there and why he's in infinite wealth going forward. And so like, this is the part, the, the whole game is leading up to, you have the, we, we haven't talked about the plot, but it's a bunch of um, backstabbing and stuff over the plan to dissolve the Yakuza clans uh, or decentralize them at the very least. Um, There's a lot of people that are going to be pissed about that. So Kiryu is there as kind of security for this clan chief who's giving the speech, but in like a dragon, that scene is, is incredible. Like I said, I squealed like a little kid when I saw the punch. Cause I knew only one man could throw that punch. Um, but now you get to see the other side of it. And yeah, I totally agree. Flora it's fan service, but it's perfect fan service.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, I'm going to use this opportunity to talk a little bit about Yakuza Like a Dragon. And, like, the first time I actually squealed is the boss fight. And we're spoiling stuff from that game we mentioned, but I'm just reiterating. I'm spoiling a major boss fight. But when Taiga and Majima come down those stairs, Mm. like, I literally squealed. The highest-pitched squeal, and um, <laughs> one of my good friends, Rebecca Valentine, had already gotten to that and had recently become a Yakuza fan and had been alluding to it. So when I got to it, I just DM'd her in all caps, oh, my God, it's fucking Majima, and, like, lost my mind. It's one of yeah. my favorite songs in the entire soundtrack. I listen to it all the time. And so, like, after that moment happened... And then my best line, my favorite line ever, which is when Daigo breaks up the fight and then he goes, what are you doing, boss? I was just about to go all out. Like a child. Like Majimo was just <laughs> bummed. Yeah. But like after that moment happened, I went, this is it. This is the pinnacle of this game. Like these are some of my favorite characters and I'm good. Like I'm satisfied. So right. like even more so when you got to that moment with. That who, who could have possibly thrown that punch? Like, I was there. Like, it was just, I didn't think I could get higher, and then I did, and now we have all the context for that. It really is a great summation of that whole moment that just elevates it even more.
1: And I don't know if y'all felt this way when playing Like a Dragon, but the reprisal of the core series characters that happens felt very, like totemic to me in a sense of like i wasn't really getting a three-dimensional version of this character i was getting like an avatar that represented this character idea that i had yeah um and because you kind of only get them in like major combat moments and then Mm -hmm. they become like summons for lack of a better term and you're, you're not really like spending time with them emotionally developing them or like learning about like hey what have you been up to um and so so i think the the layer of appreciation for me is is a little bit of like groundwater in the sense of oh okay i i now have like the emotional dimension that wasn't there originally in the game that like this game now just supplements and i find that to be like really effective
0: yeah like a dragon guide and the man who erased his name does give you the reason why Majima and Saijima are there too. You get to spend time with them. There's cutscenes where they all talk to each other. They talk about the plan. They talk about how everything's going. Majima talks some shit to Kiryu. It's like old times. Um I, there is actually, I feel like more of it than in Yakuza like a dragon. Yeah. Even though that game is five times as long as this one is. Um,
2: yeah. yeah. I also like that in the scene where they're all reunited kiryu is still not admitting to being kiryu majuma pretty <laughs> yeah. much says i know it's you and he goes i don't know what you're talking about my name is Juryu. and yeah. <laughs> majuma pretty much goes you're crazy but whatever which coming from majuma says something but like yeah, yeah <laughs> like they just they all like it's funny because everyone else is kind of amused by it majuma of course the combatant always wanting to push kiryu is just like i'm not buying it and and kiryu still won't Like Kiryu still won't admit to being Kiryu. It's very funny to me. It's, but it's played, I think, to the heart of these characters as well, which I think is really fun. Right. But it is still absolutely a recurring comedy bit that I never get tired of. Yeah.
0: Kiryu saying that to someone who he has known for decades. Yeah. In the series timeline. Right. (laughs) Very, very good stuff. Yeah, so the kind of continuation of Kiryu's security job plays out where this 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 yakuza member who just will not give it up. Basically, like all of your characters and everyone on their side are you're down with the plan of decentralizing uh, the yakuza. Um, it's just it's just too hard with all the new regulations and that 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 pesky new mayor in Tokyo. That's the villain in Yakuza Like a Dragon and all of that. Um, so you fight this guy, uh, the final boss, I kept, you know, missing that counter and dying instantly. Um, but that fight I think is really fun just to shout it out as like a, a spectacle, you know, moving from location to location. And the way that you move from location to location is by like punching somebody off of a balcony or jumping on a chandelier and, you know, spectacle stuff like that. Um, I only say that because... This is Kiryu's job that he's on for Hanawa. And by completing this, Hanawa gives Kiryu a reward. Uh, when he goes back to the monastery, he's just out there chain smoking, you know, meditating. Um, and this ending uh, is unexpected. Like, I did not expect this from this series uh, to play out the way it did. And Uh, I, I think that this is one of the most effective scenes that they've ever done in the Yakuza series, which is saying something in a game that like, quote, didn't need to exist, I think. So what it is, and then we'll, we'll get reactions and everything, uh, for those just playing along at home from the very beginning, Kiryu's whole purpose for agreeing to this like hidden identity and like changing his name and all of this stuff The sole purpose of this was to keep these kids safe. Uh, If everyone thinks he's dead, then no one can use the kids at the orphanage in Okinawa as leverage against Kiryu. So he obviously can't contact them, um, and that includes Haruka, who's his adopted daughter, and Haruto, who is his adopted grandson now, uh, who you think he'd want to spend some time with. So the reward that Hanawa gives him is a hidden camera recording of the, the kids that live at the orphanage. Um, they're all grown up. Yakuza three was a long time ago and they're going to, the camera is set up on Kiryu's grave in Okinawa. And so he shows Kiryu a recording of the kids going to visit the grave. And then I'm like, I have a well of emotion recounting this. So yeah. a few of the kids see like a a glint from the, the lens They go over to check it out and they see it's a camera and they immediately deduce that it's connected to him somehow. And so they're kind of like, well, he might be watching. We think he's dead, but he might be watching. So we might as well just kind of give him the rundown on how everybody's doing. And so they just kind of like go kid by kid and just say like, oh, you know, this kid's going to college. This kid's doing whatever. This kid's doing this at the orphanage. Um, They're all like teenagers or like young adults now and it starts out like as soon as kiryu sees it he just like oh fuck and yeah this plays out and he is just bawling his fucking eyes out all over this ipad that's showing this recording and boy when i tell you i have not cried like that in a very long time yeah. good god
2: yeah same i i I was playing it alone at home during the day. My spouse yeah. was at work and I like so first of all, credit where credit's due that uh Kuroda ugly cries. He literally does what yeah, Kiri yeah, is yeah. doing. Like he is it's very ugly good. crying, sniffling, snot like it's it's when someone ugly cries cause they are devastated, that performance portrays that. And the minute the first teardrop hits that iPad I'm weeping yeah. and then the yeah. minute the minute Koda is, uh Kuroda is ugly crying I am loudly ugly crying much to the dismay of my puppy Otis like confused <laughs> at why I'm so upset but I was inconsolable the entire time watching the scene through tears and I was so affected by it that my spouse who I love and will even if not interested in the game that I've played, like it's not a game that they're interested in, if it affected me, well, listen to me talk about it. And I got to explain to them why this meant so much, which just made me cry more. Like oh. I I, I cry at these games all the time. There are plenty of deaths <laughs> and pivotal moments in many of the games that make, have made me cry. Dave and I joke about it all the time on other on the other episode we did and all, all all sorts of other things but nothing hit me as hard as this and absolutely made everything else worth it it doesn't justify like the, any mechanical issues or like how it's bloated but narratively and its place in the legacy this scene absolutely did that and i i was a wreck like i hadn't been this messed up since to bring it back to something that relates to all of us the last of us 2 when i finished the last of us 2 i literally had to sit silently in a room for, like, a long time to the point – we were living in a different place. I was in the basement at the time. Sarah was concerned because, like, I just had didn't know what to do with myself. And this also gave me this kind of powerful emotion that I just spent hours processing.
1: I cry at basically everything (laughs) always. (laughs) And so – Part of me wants to diffuse this, this intensity by, by acknowledging that, like, I'm a weepy wreck at all occasions, but in particular, I agree with you, Matt, that this one had me loudly, ugly crying. And I found that to be really astonishing given how I felt about the rest of the game. Yeah. yeah. I didn't <laughs> think this game had it in it. And yet, this scene that we're talking about with like the tears on the iPad is, kind of a top five sort of feeling of just like, oh my God, they nailed it. Mm -hmm. Like every component of this scene from the framing and how long it took the camera to actually show Kiryu's face once he started crying. And the fact that we learned that he's crying like more than just like being broken up by seeing like, like the evidence on the iPad of the teardrops, like all of that stuff worked incredibly well for me. And I am a sucker in All narratives, but specifically video games have taught me this about myself, that characters can die, characters can break up, other tragedies can happen, and and they can evoke emotion to me. But the things that get me the most are, like, after watching a forest burn down, you see one flower sprout up and bloom, like that little promise of hope. That little, like, redemptive part against and despite all of the suffering that you've just looked back at. Like, I don't think here you needed to suffer here in this game. I don't think that, like, he is as trapped as he thinks he is with the situation. But to see him find that catharsis for me and for it to be, like, like it was, like, joy inside of the pain. It's hard yeah. to really describe, like, what I mean by that, but it it wasn't just a painful cry for him he was letting out that pain he was finding like some sort of closure to the agony that he has been unable to express or articulate or even share like not only with himself but with the people those little human connections we talked about earlier so um i like this is the type of scene that will just absolutely fuck me up yeah and uh, it delivered at this point in the narrative was one of the most effective emotional deliveries um of any yakuza game for me and i it's weird to square those two things together i didn't love this game i have a lot of issues with it this scene no complaints
0: yeah i think you nailed it it's not that he's angry at his situation he is angry but it's not just that he's angry at the situation he's like so because has had no contact with them He's just so happy that they're doing well. Yeah. Um, cause they're, they're telling about how the kids are succeeding. Um, yeah. everyone that he cares about and like they hear about how Haruto is growing up and stuff like that. So like there's that happiness, like that they're okay and that they're thriving along with the frustration that he feels like he's trapped and he can never, uh, go see them and spend time with them again. I, expected some kind of gut punch because this the series hits you with lots of them. Yeah. I cried at the end of Yakuza Zero. Uh I cried at the end of Yakuza Kawami 2 because it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Um, I cried at the end of Like a Dragon because Ichiban's voice performance at the end of that game is so powerful and emotional. What he's talking about, like the content of it didn't affect me so much as the, the power in the voice acting. But this one is so so much quieter. Like, it's not this big explosive thing. Like, nobody died. This is a happy thing that's happening. But the voice performance, the fact that, uh, like you said, Flora, it's waterworks from this character who, like, is like the face of stoicism. And, um, you know, he doesn't always have things under control, but you always get the feeling that he's going to get it under control. And this is something that's just... So far out of his control, or at least he feels that way. Uh, I don't think I've cried this hard since a pet died. Like it was like that level of, uh, like when I say I cried at things like a couple of tears, I will choke up, stuff like that. This was actually like, no, no, you're crying. You're crying, crying during this. Um, And I think it's because they managed to hit all of these emotional angles to the scene and then with the writing, the way they set it up. And then Kuroda, again, the voice acting here is ridiculously fucking good. Um, right. we, and for him, who's playing this character, who's just this total badass for hundreds of hours of voice performance up until this point, you'd never heard him do this before. No. But he, like, he crushed it. Um, yeah. They also, uh, part of the scene, too, is that uh, the kids, once they see the camera... Um they bring this drawing that Haruto drew uh and it is this this little kid ass drawing of Kiryu yeah. and like that makes him lose it even harder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's what he starts to really let out his frustration that like he's missing his kids grow up, basically. Yeah. And then the the monk at the 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 monk in air quotes, he's a yakuza guy too, um kind of makes a comment that like This is his real legacy. Like the dragon of Dojima is is bullshit compared to this. And like, I don't think he's satisfied by that, but it was a nice um, thing for someone to say to him uh, in that moment. But yeah, that that second part where they showed the drawing, I was like, oh, God, just really tighten
1: this or like turn the knife, you know? I think that what you just said made me realize another word to put on this scene, which is mm-hmm. pride. Like mm-hmm. I think yeah, that yeah. like crying when you're prideful for someone else is a singular sort of emotional outpouring that really doesn't have an analogy. Like everyone knows what it feels like to like be hurt and therefore cry, but to to feel like just an abundance of love for something to the point where you cry is truly special. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's another layer to the experience that I really cherished here.
2: Yeah. I, I think I said earlier that Kiryu has become one of my favorite game characters of all time. And I stand by that. But I think that there is a severe lack uh, in, in in games of yore, but more so it's happening now, of powerful characters, seemingly invincible characters, being vulnerable i think about the recent god of war games i think of the last of us of course i think of this game i think there's such an importance for seemingly invincible people to like show like think about super the times we've seen superman be at his most emotional is when there's something beyond his control and like something about the vision of superman crying to me is like the embody the absolute embodiment of something like this something someone who's completely invulnerable still hurting And like this scene is like for the Yakuza franchise, the pinnacle of that, the Like a Dragon franchise, and really affected me. And then, of course, like Dave said, the minute he starts to try and talk through the tears, that made it worse for me because I've (laughs) yeah because because it's a feeling I've had. I'm someone who I'm an empath. I grew up emotional. I cried over the drop of a hat as a kid, and so seeing someone I respect, care for, and really like this vulnerable just immediately destroys me in a way like you said flora like the bittersweet happiness almost makes this scene more emotional than any death or anything else yeah um i was gonna say it reminds me of i saw guardians of the galaxy 3 the same year that i played this game and like the end of that movie is a celebration and i wept through it Mm -hmm. like i won't spoil for those who may not seen it but like i wept and i think those happy like moments of small hope like you said, really do fuck me up way worse than any death or like great tragedy in the, in a different way.
0: Yeah. So like from my perspective, I I spent a good portion of this game thinking that the big explosive thing that uh, people were crying over was that Akame was gonna die, and just thinking about like how that would have hit me compared to this, I it it would it's night and day you know yeah. a, a character that i like dying but you know a relatively minor character you would see something like that and maybe it would affect you emotionally maybe you would just go ah well that really sucks that, yeah. that that's how it played out because uh, yakuza has things like that characters have died uh friendly characters um charismatic villains and stuff like that but this is the first i think the first time that they've ever layered on so many like really well-realized emotions in this type of scene together um and it's you know it's the reason that i forget which one of you said it but to me this scene justifies the entire game it was all leading up to this scene and i think there was good stuff along the way that i made sure i wanted to point out but like seeing this and if you're thinking about the totality of Kiryu's character and his story arc and how things ended in Yakuza six and what brings him back into the fold in the series, like that's all Yakuza stuff uh, that's bringing him back into the fold and stuff like that. Um, but this feel like, cause it, it kind of felt like they, one of the criticisms I've heard is that it kind of abandons the ending of Yakuza six. Like yeah. he rode off into the sunset now he shows up. He punches the shit out of some guy at this thing. What happened to him riding into the sunset and faking his death and trying to protect these kids? Now we see it. Now we see what the effects of that ending was. So like, it's not abandoned. It's, uh, it's considered. And now when you see later in Yakuza seven or maybe wherever it fits in the timeline, now, at least at the very least, when you play infinite wealth you will have this in your mind as part of Kiryu's character. This is something that happened to him. This is something that's on his mind. And like that whole thing about him uh, wanting to go bury the ring and leave Japan before he dies and stuff like that. Infinite wealth takes place in Hawaii. So like he's, you know, checking things off Uh, right after this, he goes to Hawaii. He leaves the ring in the church. Um, So he, he completes that last thing he said he wants to do before he dies. So puts like an extra dimension to Kiryu's character. Wherever the rest of the story takes him, I think that this adds something to your perception of him as a character.
1: Super minor note there, but um, I feel like this is something I should have noticed, but I want to ask you both since you're both relative diehards of Yakuza. The church thing surprised me and threw me off a little bit. Um, I feel like I can't easily recall like direct thematic christian sort of elements in kiryu's like philosophy of looking at the world before mm-hmm. um to me that was like i didn't quite know where to put that in my understanding of the character where did you all make sense of that
0: to me cuz he he's taking the ring from yumi who he thought he was going to marry so yeah. to me it's the like this is the closest thing to us getting married that we will ever get i will take the ring to a church where you know likely they would have been married in a church i would say um i don't want okay. to say that for sure because like you know japan's not 100 percent christian i don't know what his religious beliefs are uh, but i that's what i read i thought it was kind of a putting closure on this um marriage uh storyline
1: so it's symbolically the venue that they would have taken if if this love had worked out and that's i it. think okay. so
2: yeah okay yeah, I mean, that's the same read more or less I got. I don't think Kiryu is he particularly religious, but like also, and I say this as a Jew, churches are pretty commonly associated with like movie and media weddings in a way yeah. that like a Jewish yeah, temple wouldn't yeah. be in anything else. And so I think it's a shorthand for the majority of people, but not, not necessarily right or wrong. I think that's part of it, too, is like it's just an identifiable marker for a journey. Okay. I hope. I hope also some of these crises explain why uh, Kiryu looks like he's a uh, new member and new lead singer for Lincoln Park. But like, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. I guess. I was, I think, puzzled with it because
1: of the like. I, I've played Ishin this year, which is very temple based, like yeah. monastic lifestyle, sure. and then also this game is sort of monastic lifestyle in parts at least beginning and end and so um i i was sitting there like just struggling with like where to fit that in philosophically but if it's if it's pure symbolism for the narrative of the character and the relationship that was you know uh that never was let's say then that makes sense
2: yeah
0: yeah yeah that's what i thought um what one last question for you all and i'm not i don't expect you to know this but if you do that'll be a cool little bonus for me When Kiryu goes to Hawaii, uh, in this scene, we should say he does have that new uh, pop star haircut. (laughs) Um, So like the person who went through like a trauma and then just totally reinvented themselves with a new haircut, dyed hair, uh, stuff like that. Um, I'm thinking of a character in Baldur's Gate 3 that did the exact same thing. Uh, So um, he goes to the church, he leaves the ring. But before that, he had said when he was leaving the monastery, he had said, He wants to go to Hawaii, but before he goes to Hawaii, there's something he had to do first, and then it cuts to him in Hawaii. This could just be something from Like a Dragon, because he gets involved with the late story in that game too. Um, But could it have been something else? Any ideas? Did you pick up on this like I did?
2: So my theory is this is just leaving the door open for the next, for Infinite Wealth, right? Like We know he connects with Ichiban again. Um, cause they're both on like the cover of the game together with his pop star haircut. So, my guess is, my guess is, if I had to assume anything, he has to pass the torch. He needs to make sure that what this is the final part of his plan to leave the world in a better place when he's gone is he needs like someone to take on his mantle essentially. It's like we talked about in Yakuza seven, right? Yeah, seven the series is killing me uh <laughs> that they kind of pa- he kind of passes the torch in that game i think that's what he has to do he wants to find Ichiban and be like here's what you need to do here's what you should know kind of a thing i think he wants to officially pass on the responsibilities of saving the yakuza world Some like more eloquently than that but that's my theory at least
1: Part of me is still chewing on the question of, like, why we are getting this game in the first place, and specifically, like, if anyone feels that this game robs Yakuza 6's ending of the impact that it established for Kiryu's character, and, like, this is, like, now the new definitive stopping point for that, like, stepping stone into uh, Infinite Wealth, I wonder, like, why is the final scene orphanage-related? Like, obviously, this has been the sort of... um sort of damocles being held over him this entire game but i wonder if infinite wealth is going to like use those kids again mm. for our purposes now that we've like established with clarity that they're okay and they're thriving like part of me wants to s- suggest that they are going to be used against Kiryu in a way where if he's preparing for his death he will actually die on behalf of them, trying to protect them in that next game. Mm-hmm. I don't really know if I trust that that's where they're going to go with that character, given the fact that we've had forty three point five bait and switches of his death at this point. Um, <laughs> but or all of the characters, I guess. But I think that's the stepping stone that I'm wondering about most actively is like the way in which the the quote unquote orphans or orphanage sort of situation are going to be linked to those future events? And to what extent, since this is a meditation back on like Kiryu's love life and like, f- let's say family life, um, w- are we really going to return to like Haruka and Haruto? Like, mm-hmm. is that where this goes? Or curiously in the the scene that we've all gushed about, um, I'm forgetting the characters' names who talk directly into the camera, but like the grown-up children. Mm-hmm. I wonder to what extent they might be a part of this now um if those are actually cut off links within this game we just get that closure for the orphanage line moving on or if that is like hey dangle 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 foreshadowing for you know the follow up that we're going to get in the much longer infinite wealth
0: I personally would assume like my assumption and kind of my hope is that this is the biggest source of like actual closure that Kiryu is going to get with the orphanage kids because they take the camera away. And like, it, it's kind of, to me, it felt like that was the one thing he's going to get. Cause the, right. The agents came and took the camera out of the graveyard. So no more messages from the kids. And I do think that he's at least scared enough to stay away. Uh, so I, it feels like this is the closure that he gets from them and then maybe he'll reflect on it. Maybe he'll talk about it in future stories. But this felt like closing the chapter as far as like active things happening in that storyline, if that makes sense.
1: Definitely. I think I failed to make the final link there, which is that perhaps he like leaves a letter or something like that to these these characters in in a sense of like hey, when you want to be able to answer the questions you had about XYZ, come to this place in Hawaii and you'll find those answers. Mm. And rather yeah, than it right. being an explicit, he shows up at the orphanage or something uh, or up shows up in their lives. Like this is like a sort of like more passive and therefore like his logical way of trying to avoid the prying eyes following him directly. Like the, mm. I, I don't really believe any of that. And I like that you said the word hope, Dave, that like I don't really hope that's what happens either. I just didn't really feel like i felt the closure for the character of kiryu i don't know that i felt the closure in terms of the overall scale of the plot if that makes sense
2: yeah i, I think though something you bring up kind of links i have a, like maybe ichiban is the connection here right like right. when i'm exactly. when i'm gone talk to my friend ichiban right to know exactly. the life i lived or something like i can see that kind of thing like i think that's where this loop closes but we'll see um that uh, i do think that those kids will come up again in this next game. I just don't know how. Like, I don't think Kiryu goes to the orphanage, right? He's never seeing them again. But I think that there's a loop to close there where those kids, like, get, get the closure of what really happened to Kiryu now that Kiryu really knows what happened to them, right? Like, the other side of it. I just don't know how.
0: To me, it felt like there was... There's a loop to close for sure but there's also a poetic ending where they just leave it at this. Yeah. That I think would be very effective. I agree. Uh, Cause you all, everyone, like the kids go home with the kind of spark that he might still be alive and he gets to leave with the update on how they're all living and like that kind of bittersweet ending. But it would be poetic, I think to just leave it at that yeah. and not force a, here's your closure type of, uh, type of plot beat you know or type of ending
1: yeah to clarify i i am on your side there i don't really want all of the extra loops um (laughs) i just think it's possible
0: possible and you know what if they do decide to do it i think that the studio's proven that you know they do they do right more often than they don't so i my my trust in the storyline is fully in their hands uh as well it should be because they're the ones who are doing this uh so i i have faith they'll do it right uh, however, it does end up going. Speaking of doing it right, I think that we have done it right. Tonight, Matt and Flora, thank you so much for taking over three hours to uh, go sicko mode on another Yakuza game with me.
2: Thank you. Anytime
1: for... with Yakuza, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I think I've been pestering you since the last time we talked about Yakuza. I want to talk about one of the games. And so yeah. I'm grateful <laughs> grateful to be here because it's fun to find... like. It's fun to torture people who don't care about it with it, (laughs) but it is but it is also fun, even more fun to talk about other sickos, as you put it, uh, who really just love these things to death. Um, Yeah. Flora said much earlier on that this is probably one of her favorite franchises. And I have to agree. It's easily my favorite Sega franchise without a doubt, like Sonic used to be, but not anymore. Like this leaps and bounds better and delivers way (laughs) better, better track record for sure, too.
0: Yeah, what other series, again, can we say has over 10 entries in them? And they're all good. It's a, it's a very, it's a it's a real big feather in their cap uh, yeah. for the Yakuza series. So uh, again, I, I really appreciate the both of you taking so much time on a school night to come <laughs> talk with me about Yakuza. This has been awesome. Uh, as soon as I saw some of those story beats, I was like, well, you know, these demand a conversation. And I couldn't have picked two better guests to have it. So I appreciate you both. Um, Anyone still listening, MVPs, we appreciate you. (laughs) And uh, another call for you to go check out everything that Matt and Flora do, whether it's on Fun and Games, Screen Snark, Reignite for Matt, Uh, and Matt's writing on Patreon, good stuff there. And then Flora's writing on Epilogue Gaming and podcasting on Left Behind Game Club, all just such quality content maybe go check out that yakuza series, uh zero series on left behind game club if you're itching for more yakuza content so with that i will say good night for tonight and once again thank you everybody for listening tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog
2: as days go by everything has changed
1: nobody knows me remembers me anymore I'm fading away even I don't belong to you those days are far behind but I pray you're happy now serenity in your mind I'm leaving right now losing my name But I can't stop loving you